Welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Season 3, Episode 2 with Don Moore. My guest for this issue is someone we spoke to in Season 1, I think, so a little while ago. Um, he's been a friend of mine for a very long time and I happen to have nipped down to Cornwall for a surf forecast. We've been hanging out the last three days and I thought I'd sit him down for a podcast because he's well overdue a catch-up. Last time we spoke uh, at length about his experiences in Maui and Hawaii and becoming a bit of a guru big wave surfer. He's known for charging the cribber whenever it's on and runs the Surf Sanctuary Surf School down at Fistral Beach. Um, And he's been doing really well with that. And we also talked at length about his cancer diagnosis and dealing with that, which we can touch on again in this episode. But I guess that's probably what we'll end up talking about first, because I'm going to say, welcome, Dom, and uh, how are you, sir? Well, I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Yeah, good. I am good, Rude. Cheers. It's nice to be back on. Yeah. Lovely to have you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing good now. Um, So I think we got to where we trailed off last time. I secured the treatment. Yes. And now I was about a month or two into it. Yeah. And then did the whole course of treatment. That went on for a year and no side effects, no problems. And then since then, all the scans have been clear. Wow, that's is, really good news. Yeah, thank you, which is great. So I've really, it's really to the back of my mind now. And Don't think about don't it. Don't think about it. And how long do you get scanned for? Uh, the ascent of all that I've got, these six-month scans are going to go on for the next two years. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen after that because I was originally told it was going to be for life. Yeah. And then it was going to be a quite a... a quite a closer frequency than six months and then they said we don't want to do it any less than six months because you're quite young and that's actually quite a lot of radiation that's going to build up or exposure yeah uh, so they put it to six months and yeah i don't know i'm not sure wait and see what happens yeah wait and see what happens um yeah i don't know what's gonna and happen. it was quite a groundbreaking treatment is that being offered out more widely now or is it it wasn't now lucky? it isn't it wasn't now it isn't yeah, that's right so i was the first person to get it on the nhs yeah um, outside a clinical trial and then it became it came online nice approved it so when you got to stage three then you could have this this immunotherapy treatment and then after about a year they stopped it they stopped offering it and i don't know why they stopped offering it really yeah you'd think they would wouldn't you, you? It's it's like, yeah oh it's yeah quite successful and it works quite yeah, it well is. and it's not super invasive and doesn't make you super Ill. i remember you were saying you were going surfing after your treatments right. and stuff and feeling a bit bit like you deserved every wave there was. <laughs> yeah, on the foamy, yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's the only option really for a lot of cancers. So not all of them are treatable by uh, chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Yeah. So it's the only one. It's probably the future for a lot of things because it uses the body's own immune system rather than an, an external agent. Yeah. Um, so it must be a financial decision. Yeah, yeah. which is sad, isn't it? Yeah, because it it'll cost a lot more uh for that patient once they've progressed and then they're in you know then you, you know you're, you're giving them that treatment anyway yeah so what happens you don't get it oh you progressed now you can have it yeah and, and then, then there's all the palliative care paid for all else. the other stuff to get them to that point you're yeah. better off get just getting it out of the way and it will come back again yeah well it's yeah. got to isn't it because yeah. it seems to be well it's still, wonders it's still for you. yeah it's, that's right well i'm glad you're still with us right. <laughs> yeah yeah I, one of the last i think it was uh was it the last meeting i had you have to because you have your scan and then by law you've got to have a clinic meeting with your oncologist and stuff uh, it might have been the one in winter and he said oh, what, are you, what are you off to do now i said i'm off to go and surf at port flevin and the forecast is 
bloody horrible. <laughs> he goes, well, he goes, I'm happy to tell you, he said, that your risk of dying from surfing is now higher than your risk of dying from cancer. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good bloke. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, was it a good surf session? It was, yeah. It was good. It's been the last two or three winters, so it's been a couple of years now since then, hasn't it, since we had the chat. And the last two winters have been absolutely banging. Really good. Yeah, really good. We're getting a real feast or famine, yeah. which is fine. Um, <clears throat> so we're getting periods, we're getting extremes is what we're getting. And extremes of weather is basically dry and sunny with nothing going on and yep. then lashing down with rain and me mega swells. So we're really noticing that rather than a more consistent sort of winter, or it just sort of peaks up October, November, December, and you know, it's five to six foot, whatever. It's really exceeding all that now. So it's just suddenly it's either all or nothing. Yeah. Which is great if you're into big wave surfing. It's great. Yeah, it well, is great. And um, all the but Fistral Beach holds it really well. And there's lots of options around. So yeah. it, places like Damer Bay and that have been going off and, even well, shouldn't well, whatever. Yeah, a bit further up as well. <coughs> further afield. You know, yeah, a little bit further up than Dama Bay. There's a there's a spot which yeah, won't might, say might have to about. edit that out. Yeah, away, like. <laughs> Smiley won't be listening. It'd be fine. You'll get away. He with won't. It. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how to switch on a podcast. <laughs> he wouldn't know one if it slapped him in the face. He bet we. He better not be listening now. Someone <laughs> will go. <laughs> He's a great ah, bloke. Very clever. Everyone yeah. go at you, Smiley, in that podcast. You should listen to it. He'll work <laughs> yeah. it out. Then he'll find out you're talking about some secret spot but it's been um it's been good we've been surfing the last few days mm. and it's it's been chunky and it's been impressive to watch you surf is that your main thing now surfing because yeah. obviously you've kited in the past and you know dabbled a few mountain board sports and other things but it seems like you're 100 percent focused on surfing and it certainly paid off i mean you look you know you're catching more waves than anyone else out there thanks i had the uh <coughs> the 50 litre shortboard the oxymoron <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is my main thing now. And paddleboarding, if I go that, that that's really more touring. And to be honest, it's more it's more work orientated really now. If I'm if I'm paddleboarding, yeah, um, that's when I do it. So the surfing is is just uh, sort of risen to the top for me. It's the simplest one. Yeah, uh, it's right there. You know, least it, amount of stuff. Yeah, it's a surfing beach. It's not a kite surfing beach, really. You know, you can kite surf there, but it's not ideal. Yeah, always somewhere better to kite surf. Uh, yeah, least amount of stuff. Foil in, I got into that a little bit earlier this year. Yeah, surf foil. It's been nice, yeah, the surf foil. Uh, that hasn't grabbed me as much as I thought it would. Maybe because I haven't got that good at it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I like about the surfing is you don't have to keep cycling through equipment yep. as you get better. Like one, one board will do it and you can surf it well. You can surf a foamy well, that's great. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's a constant challenge. You know, it's always there, something to sort of test yourself against. Yeah. Um, it doesn't doesn't hurt don't get any injuries from it bit of tightness in the lower back it's good for your shoulders good for everything yeah and are you um do you do much sort of training as winter comes on for things like the cribber and stuff or are you just like i'm out in the water every day anyway i don't That's really it. need to do any extra training on top of it pretty much it yeah just out in the water all the time so we we have a full season yeah, you know, hundred days, pretty much. Um, June, July, August, and with the surf school, with the surf school. Yeah, it may be even a bit longer than that, where you're just in and out the sea the whole time, climbing around rocks, jumping off rocks, teaching people, towing people around on paddle boards, paddle boarding. So there's a lot of work going on there. Yeah. So by the time you get to this point, you're actually feeling pretty good. Yeah. And then the you just have to surf is really what it's about. Keep sharp with that. I've started doing a little bit little bit of breath work which I hadn't done for years and years and years just because I think it's a good thing to do 
but yeah, no specific training. Um, if I was going to, well, I will actually, I have told myself I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn to swim better. Okay. So I can swim, no yeah. problem. Always done it like everyone can swim, but I can't swim very, you know, very fast. Um, well, I can swim well enough to qualify for, um, you know, the lifeguard ticket, yeah. which isn't difficult. Because <laughs> it's, it's eight, eight, uh, eight minutes. Low bar. Meters. Yeah, very low bar. But I'd like to improve upon that. Um, even though when you are swimming out of trouble, you're not swimming like you would in a swimming pool with your head down and doing the strokes no. like that. You're just sort of plodding along, keeping your head up. And yeah, just... survival swimming, keeping an eye out. Yeah, but I think that would be, that's an area, probably, that's quite probably low-hanging fruit for me to yeah. improve on that. Just to easily get on yeah, that just, case. Yeah, and it'll be a technique thing, I expect. Yeah. Yeah, I know my technique's shocking with it. So. <laughs> yeah. I guess someone's teach you how to yeah. swim. So nothing, no specific training. And I think that once you're at, I do believe, and this is a, this is a good question actually, because it applies to all of these sports, no matter what level you're at, um, what training do you need to do? Well, the physical element, I think, is the quickest one to reach. Yeah. That's the easiest one to reach. Because all you have to do is just, get your muscles, mobility, your cardiovascular fitness up to a certain level. Great. As long as it's specific fitness, there's no point um, training to run a marathon and then expecting to that to transfer to shortboarding very well. But as yep. long as it's, it's, and it's easy to, to cross train for things, then the technique is probably a bit of a slower burn to learn. You know, it's just repetition. But again, there's lots of crossover sports you can do that really help when you yep. can't get out and surf. So I, the area that I'm most interested in where I've been uh, sort of reading and developing some clinics that we've been running earlier this year is in the mindset. Yeah, because you've been doing a science degree, haven't you? So yeah. you're getting quite into all this sort of That's right. slightly out there thinking that you probably wouldn't get on a surf coach's course or anywhere yeah. near a kite surfing instructor's course, this kind of extra level of knowledge base, I guess. It's a bit different. And I think that when... Some people, we start saying it to them, they wonder what, what we're going on about, whether we're making it up, if it's bro science, they don't expect to hear it. Yeah. But if you sort of stick with it long enough, <laughs> they go, oh yeah, that kind of does make sense. What I really like about it is that you go through it all and then when you sort of try and distill it down, it's the sort of stuff your parents tell you anyway. Yeah. Things like get back on the horse if you fall off. Um, <clears throat> you know, or, or, you know, if you... If, if, if your adrenaline's going, then it won't be as scary, these, these types of things. And if you're running around, it won't be as bad. Um, so that's, that's what I'm really interested in is sort of, you know, controlling the fear. Yeah. Um, being able to stay alert, not drift off, off mission. Yeah. And looking at the ways, thinking about the ways where it can enhance the rest of your life. Uh, so... You know, I've believed for a long time, and when you'll believe, I'm sure you, you'll agree with this, but you can have, you know, in a life-changing experience. Yeah, for sure. Know, we were talking about someone earlier just now in the kitchen, weren't we, who had a, a life-changing experience on a, on a particularly huge wave. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. So these things, they do live with you. And I'm really interested in, in the science behind what actually changes in the brain. Yeah, the sort of actual physical yeah. changes to the mental state from those experiences. That's right. Yeah, you know... Your brain is in, um, I'm sort of skipping around a little bit with these because I haven't thought about it for a while. So, <laughs> but, um, you're, you know, when you're, when you're young, in your youth, which we've just now, you know. Come now, Tom. <laughs> We're still in our youth. <laughs> Not a wrinkle on that forehead. <laughs> so they call it the critical period. It's, it is the critical period between 0 and 25 where, yep. you know, the brain is most, it's most plastic. 
and up to up to the age of 12 is incredibly plastic the and by is, plastic you mean it absorbs information yeah really and quickly. It's, that's right it's, it's changing changing it's yeah. changing yeah it's able to change and you know all the all the switches are in the on position for learning up to around about the age of 12 yeah so you can so much so that your your vocabulary can expand for the rest of your life but your command of grammar is kind of fixed by about the age of 12. Yeah. Uh, you won't really develop much from that. Probably the same with accents as well. Okay. Um, but it's around about 12, puberty, that sort of thing. So up to about that age, you know, the brain's in the full-on on mode. Kids are running around everywhere. They seem hyperactive, but they're not. They're just like puppies investigating yeah. stuff and all the rest of it. And the brain's just soaking things up. And then it will go through a period of, uh, it goes through a period of consolidation and refinement, uh, synaptic pruning, Okay. Is what it's called, where it doesn't need to be on the whole time and absorbing absolutely everything because you'd be walking around going, Oh my God, these clothes feel amazing. I'm still wearing yeah. my clothes. You know, it has to start putting filters on things and becoming more refined. Uh, <clears throat> so as you go through life, then more and more of these on switches are going to go to the off position and you're going to stop, you know, your learning is going to slow down. Yeah. And then if you don't really do anything about it, past the age of 25, you'll start to go into cognitive decline. It'd be quite slow. But so if it, you stop learning after the age of 25, then If you stop learning, to... stop doing new things, you'll go into cognitive decline, yep. And it, it, you'll, it, you'll, start to, you'll continue to degrade. Yeah. If you don't do anything. But if you do things, you can still put your brain in a learning state and you can avoid cognitive decline and supposedly then you can continue to improve yep. cognitively. So there's a few ways of doing this, of, you know of sort of keeping in this learning state or reinvigorating it, if you like. Mm -hmm. Exercise is a great way of doing it. Yeah. Um, but also having achieving a really big goal or okay. doing something really fantastic or going traveling and going, oh my gosh, that really changed it for me. Or for some people going to see a gig or, a, you know, whatever, and they go and start a band or surfing a fantastic wave or having an amazing experience. These things put a bit of a, you feel like you've got a bit of a turbo charge on you know type yep. charger on you and you have this amazing experience and you sort of feels like you don't come down from it for a while and it can and it, it can sort of live live with you for quite a few months afterwards and during that period your brain is in a learning state once more yeah which is you know where you want to be it's either that or decline Going down so yeah you come down and get stupider and soaking dumber up and, information state yeah and you're not going to turn you know cognitive decline doesn't mean that you're you're becoming stupider every year it just means you're becoming more set, set in your ways yeah so you could be you know really good at whatever you do and you stay really good at whatever you do but you can't really get out of that and yeah you that this is the way i see the world this yes. is what's happening in it. Yeah. Nothing's going to change my viewpoint on it because I'm set in this way, which is actually how a lot of old people are. Yes, they, <laughs> yeah. they are. That's you exactly know, you get to a certain age and it's just like, there's no changing them. That, that they're just, you can't, doesn't matter what you tell them, they're yeah. stuck on that one record. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you can feel it. You, you know yourself, you get into your 40s and you're not so interested in what's going on now. After <laughs> 30s. Yeah, that's it. In, 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 you know, do you want to sort of be confused by the world and frustrated and not keeping up or do you still want to be in it and really having a great time you yeah know, that's the, that's well I think you always want to be learning I mean that's one thing I've always liked about you is you're always keen to to learn new things and you know embrace stuff which is something I've always done as well with whatever sport it is if there's a new version of it that comes out or a new twang on kite surfing it's like well mm. I want to try that and get involved with it and I think it does it keeps you young you know it keeps you interested yeah you know if you just carry on doing the same same old thing I was chatting to someone about it recently it's like 
you know, kite surfed all the best waves around the world over the last 20 years or so, or 21 years now probably. And, and now it's like the really good days are very few and far between. So actually learning a new thing and going back to being a beginner suddenly brings all this excitement about something, you know, and you're just like, oh, this is amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish at this, but I want to get better and I want to understand it. Yeah. And I think if you just stay on that one track where I've mastered this, I'm good at it, I don't need to learn anything else, then yeah, it's just not a good place to be, is it? Absolutely. And we see it, the, man, the perfect manifestation that, that we see is multidiscipline in, in these ocean sports. So, you know, you, you, we all know the person, all they ride is a shortboard. That's it, nothing else. And they're getting slightly more frustrated with it and getting a little bit heavier as life goes on. And then eventually they stop. Yeah. Um, or whatever they, they may be doing. Whereas if you branch out and you do different things, it, they cross over, they reinvigorate, they really help. And the, talking about foiling, that really helped kick me back into shortboarding this year. Yeah. So the foil came along and I had lots of people saying, you're going to love this, you've got to get into it. And it, I'd heard so much about it. I went out and bought one and I was like, actually, this is, this is really good. And I thought, well, I'm never going to bother surfing when it's under three feet again. Yeah. I'm only going to foil. That's it. <clears throat> and I, I, I thought that was going to be the way for me. And it was an amazing feeling because you're exercising, which is putting you into this learning state. Yeah. And then you're up on the foil and you're getting this feedback and then you're, doing something with you know you're processing this new information you're instantly performing better as time is going right in front of you it was a fantastic thing um foil brain they call it don't they yeah Yeah. they do i think foiling is probably one of the hardest things for your brain to get its head around i mean everything that's going on especially if you're kite foiling or something you're flying a kite and you're flying a wing you know kite surfing is hard enough flying a kite and riding a board over a surface and then all of a sudden now you're flying a kite and flying a wing under a surface and it's just yeah, it's an intense amount of and r- stuff really, your brain to cope with. The, the way it felt to me was like standing on a bowling ball with a tea tray on top of it. Yeah. You know, that's where the balance point was. It was one tiny little point in the middle. Really yep. strange. Whereas yeah. with the planing board, you can feel the balance points on the outside. Yeah. Uh, but it was marvellous. But just to sort of go back a bit. So a lot, a lot of this uh, reading I've been doing and podcasts and all the, all the rest of it um, that I've been... St- Sort of prepping myself for this for this next year of study has been about the effect of exercise on learning as well so obviously a great um, life-changing moment is one way to put the brain in a learning state but th- you know that's a bit like saying well a great way to become rich is to just play loads of lottery tickets and <laughs> you'll get there you know it might not happen yeah uh, and if you're waiting around for that to happen but exercise physical movement is a fantastic way to put the brain into a learning state and then of course, it's the the excited brain is what controls the body in the first place. So if you want to, if you you, know, you want to put the brain into a learning state where you start exercising, and then uh, your your brain is now you know sort of more active. There's probably more movement options open to you. You know things like coordination can improve, timing, all this type of stuff. So I I sort of theorized or guessed, maybe fantasized that there's this really quick feedback loop when you're foil surfing yep. or foiling because you're working really hard. So you're in this exercising state. You've got this novel sensation which you're trying to deal with and process, and it's just feeding back to you so fast, uh, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I thought this was, we always have this chat, me and Rob Small, about the unification of, of all the sports. So in science, you've got the unification um, of, the fo- of the four fundamental forces of the universe, uh, which are the electromagnetic force, yep. which is 
all the stuff that's coming out. I say, yeah, like I know what's coming yeah. up. I don't, but this is lovely. <laughs> yeah. So you've got your electromagnetic uh, spectrum, which yeah. is everything from radio waves, which are as long as a galaxy, down to gamma rays via 5G, you know. Uh, <laughs> burn that mast. <laughs> yeah, burn that mast. Yeah, apparently, turns out it wasn't 5G making everyone ill after all. Um, that, and then microwaves and everything else. So that's all on your electromagnetic spectrum. And then you've got the strong nuclear force, and you've got the weak nuclear force. Uh, what they do is not really that important. Well, it is just <laughs> bloody important, actually. Uh, wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. But then you've got gravity. Mm-hmm. So the first three, they can unify uh, as, a, as, a, as a super unification. I might be the wrong way around, but super unification, I believe it's called, where at high enough energies, they, they become the same force. They right. can unify them, right? Uh, gravity is the one that they can't unify. And this, that's, that's why you've got string theory and these people trying to find a quantum theory of gravity to, to, to unify them, to prove that they can be uh, explained the same way. Yeah. Right now, they can't do that with gravity. If they do, then it'll become the grand unification. Yeah. So if you, um, the best way to think of it is you've got th- four roads. You've got four roads and they're, they're divided up. You know, they're, they're, they're separated by just land yep. yeah, by a prairie or whatever. And then as you go further down the roads and these three roads are going to merge, which is electromagnetic, the strong and the weak force are going to merge, but the gravity, the gravity one Doesn't. hasn't, no, it's still going along. And so they're looking for a way to bring all four of them together into one super highway, yep. one grand highway, let's call it. And I saw that and I thought that is a very, very cool um, schematic yep. or, or, philo- or you know, sort of model to apply to, apply to sports. And I, Rob Small and I were chatting, saying, well, foil boarding, you know, the foil is gravity. That's the one we can't unify yet. And then stand-up paddle boarding, snowboarding, and surfing, we can easily unify. Yeah. Or, you know, you can put skateboard. You can swap a couple of those sports around. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, they're all kind of got similar base fundamentals to them. That's right. Whereas foiling's like way, off. way out there. Yeah, way off there. And so at low, low energy levels, there's no unification between them. So what's low energy? Low energy surfing is learning to surf. Yep. And you're in the white water and it's pushing you along. Fine. You're just working on some stuff there. Your two weeks of doing that and then you go two weeks learn to snowboard, they won't help each other. Yep. They're just not similar enough. They're physically different. So you're, you are sliding and planing along on your surfboard, but you're really just being sorry on a snowball but you're really really been pushed on your surfboard yeah or if you went to a flow rider you know where they blast the water jet up the thing it's got no relation at that entry stage to the entry level of surfing they just don't help each other but as you keep surfing after the years and you're up and planing and you're sliding around on green waves and then you maybe go snowboarding for a month or two and you get quite handy at snowboarding you're starting to put an edge in and sit into your turns they start to unify yeah and so then you go for your two weeks snowboard and you come back and it's actually helped you surfing your surfing's improved the and... surfing's improved and yeah and vice versa so you've got this unification right there and um we were saying that it was very very hard to see where foiling would come in and now there's a chap in Newquay called tom earl yeah who's become incredibly good on the foil and and i don't i don't know if he's been in any i mean not a lot of people know who this guy is Bloody good local surfer, though, one of the best surfers in Newquay. Yeah. And he's taken to the fore and he's absolutely incredible at it. He hasn't been doing it very long. And I remember, I think after three goes, after three sessions from nothing, shortboarding, picked up the four, from three goes, he's beginning to cut back, which is 
pretty impressive. Yeah, bloody impressive. And now he's just, he's just fully Ripping ripped. Around. So he pumps out. He'll be on the floor for 10 minutes, just going round and round and round, like Guy Bridge style sort of levels. And I was t- talking to him about it. I said, oh, about the unification. And he said, well, no. He said, the shortboarding is gravity. He said, that's the one that's the hardest of all of them. And I thought, he's absolutely right. It's bloody impossible. It is, it is really difficult. And he was saying, though, that he was, I mean, he's getting quite close because he'd go, I'm having a great time. I'm doing two weeks on the four. Then the surf came back and, I was, and he was absolutely ripping on that and coming back. And then it made me think that, yeah, the shortboarding really is the one that's sort of out there on its own. And the, the hardest. The hardest one to unify. Yeah, the slowest one to unify with, whereas the others you can unify them a little bit sooner, sooner on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the thought. I think, I think the equipment helps a lot there because yeah. the equipment that you've got, you know, I mean, I remember learning to kite foil. Oh, I can't remember how long ago it was. It was when the first kind of commercially available kite foils came out, liquid force foil fish or something. You know, and the shape of it was just ridiculous. I'm holding my hands up and it was <laughs> it would resemble nothing yeah. like a normal foil that you'd want to learn on now. And it's almost like the the technology's advanced so quickly and the designs have advanced so quickly that you can take someone who's never really been on a foil before and you can turn them behind a boat and they can be up and foiling you know, and not falling in and not completely kooking out. And then that's fortunately transferred itself into, you know, surf foiling. It's almost like all these foiling sports have exploded at a time just when they were getting the shapes right. And they mm. were just discovering that actually bigger, wider, larger, you know, I mean, I remember doing one of the podcasts I did a, a couple of years ago with um, Charles Bertrand, who's the F1 foil designer, and I don't think I ever published it. I've probably got it somewhere. And we were laughing because they have this massive 1800 um, foil size. I think they use it as centimetres squared. So it was like 1800 centimetres squared foil, and it was huge. And we were joking about, oh, you know, is this the pinnacle of of foil design? And and now you get a 2800 foil, you know, and they're just Mm. buses. But it makes it quite easy to learn foiling. Whereas with shortboarding, you can't go, oh, here's a really easy way to learn shortboarding. Here's a 10-foot long surfboard that's 20-foot wide that you can stand on because it's not a shortboard. So by its very nature, the equipment will never... I mean, they've got all the hybrid boards now and, like, you know, the board I'm riding and, you know, packed with volume and it's a little bit better, but essentially the essence of it is it's still freaking tiny. Yeah. And it's not an easy board to ride. It's a sinker. Yeah. It's a sinker that you've got to paddle to the plane yeah. by getting it in the right place on the wave. Yeah, yeah. it is very difficult. And with the foiling, you just a nudge. Yeah, just get a you little up. nudge little can nudge. get you up. And you can be a bit sloppy with your pop-up because it doesn't matter if you're up yeah, at yeah. the critical point because the foil's just an engine underneath you and it's quite happily trucking along. And yeah. then once you're up, you can get to your feet and foil around. Well, this is what I found. You've explained that so well. <clears throat> And I'd never considered it that way. But yeah, shortboarding, shortboarding by design is always going to be off on its own little yeah, bubble. it's going to be hard. Because as soon as you make it easy, you're now riding a mid-length. Yeah, it's no longer shortboarding. Yeah, it's no longer shortboarding. Which is why mid-lengths have suddenly become super, yeah, popular. super popular. And that's the latest thing in surfing, isn't it? It's everyone needs a mid-length, yeah. seven foot six. Yeah, the, looks like a shortboard. It used to be a mini-mal. Couldn't yeah, it's not anymore. Now they're 750 quid, 1,000 pounds. And uh, yeah, performance mid-length. But, hey, if someone was... Someone was my age or a little bit younger or whatever, and they said, I want to learn to surf now. And they were serious about it. I'd say just go and learn to foil surf. Really? Yeah. Unless they really, really want to bang their head against the wall for several months. Uh, well, you know what it's like. Yeah. yeah. Doing and it's it. really going to sort of commit to it and submit, submit almost to it yeah. and apply yourself to it. 
I would say they'd, they'd be better off, you know, get the boat lesson with a foil, yep. figure that out, and then learn to foil surf. Uh, because you're learning, to f- just as you mentioned, you're learning to foil surf on one to two foot waves. Yeah. You don't even have to duck dive. You just push it out, yeah. paddle it out a little bit. You never, your head's not going to get wet. Um, that's, that's what I would be saying to people. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I thought foil surfing would have taken off more than it has. And I think in some countries, in some spots, it's become super popular. In Maui, as we know, everyone's yeah. foil surfing. You probably get some nice waves at Hookeeper now on a decent day because they're wow. all foil surfing in the harbour and not surfing yes, sure. at Hookeeper because that's what they're all about. But in the UK, it doesn't seem to have really hit off as much as perhaps it could have done. But I guess that's condition dependent. It's quite hard here to find the right conditions. You need right a specific beach, don't you? <clears throat> you do need that specific beach. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, it's the one thing I haven't tried um, out of all the foiling sports. I'm, I'm winging now quite competently and I really enjoy that. Obviously, kite foil for a long time. And everyone's like, oh, are you going to try the surf foil? And I was like, well, I, I can't surf a shortboard. And that was my goal was like, well, if I can't surf a shortboard, why am I going to go and learn to pop up on a, you know, a five foot, surfboard with a foil on the bottom of it when I can't pop up on a six foot surfboard without a foil on the bottom of it just didn't seem to make sense to me so I was like you know what I'm just going to bang my head against the wall and try and learn the shortboard in which I'm rubbish at but getting better um and yeah then I think what will happen is is when I foil surf like I can already foil on various craft and various size wings and I will have learned to pop up really well through my surfing so I, I see it as the the surf foiling being quite an easy thing to get into once I've got that skill set from the shortboarding and mm. those two things I can see in Mount together. So it's interesting what you say about your mate Tom saying that he sees that as the one you can't unify because it's so freaking hard and yeah. the foiling's actually got that unification because in my head I'm like, well, if I crack surfboard shortboarding, then I put my foiling together, I'll just paddle out and I'm sure I won't. I'm sure yeah, I'll yeah. suck at it. But it seems like a more logical sort of skill set rather than me just going off and learning to surf foil yeah. and then picking up some really bad habits with my pop-up and stuff like that and just being a bit slack and then trying to learn to surfboard. I sort of went about it the other way. So I still haven't haven't tried it. I will at some point, I'm sure. I mean, it's um, definitely possible. I think if you surf foiled first, you could learn some bad habits with the timing. Yeah, because you you know you can. It doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't matter, and sometimes you almost have to pop up really late. Yeah, and, and drag your legs in the water if you're getting a real push of it. Yeah, um, but but with what you say about the you know the learning to shortboard, that you know you'll know when you're learning the shortboard, and I think everyone's always learning the shortboard. Yeah, unless they're a real freak, but I don't think there's anyone who goes. Do you know what? It's done. Well, there there are people do do that. Actually, they are completed they are it. Absolute elite. <laughs> yeah, you know who, who've changed the sport. People like Michael Peterson from the seventies was such a freak of a character that they do get to the point where they, they have, there's nothing else to do. But you know they changed the direction of the sport. They took two foot, feet off the front of boards. These sorts of things. You know, they were the, he was probably the fittest person in Australia at the time. Um, if anyone's not sure who Michael Peterson was, it's worth uh, digging out a biography of his. Yep. Uh, he was just an urchin who grew up uh, by Kira yep. in the 70s when it wasn't really as busy as it is now. And they had nothing else to do but you know, smoke weed and surf all the time because there wasn't a lot of opportunity in Australia in those days, not like it is now. And he, you know, he would uh, have a, a, a washing up bowl in the morning full of Rice Krispies and like three pints of milk and just smash all the way through that and then go and surf Kira for six hours in a pair of shorts. And, you know, the rip at Kira is insane. 
it's an incredible place and he could just paddle and maintain out there and he was super wide shoulders you know really lean and he was doing you know snaps and things on his single fin and took loads of volume out of it and all the rest of it but you know he got to a point in his probably mid-30s where he just didn't surf again because he completed it he's completed it and then you know people go well i want to ride a shortboard you go well just you know, just let's, let's have a look. It's not because it's easy that people ride shortboards. Because if you want to know how you, we got to the shortboard, you have to look at Michael Peterson eating, you know, a bowl of <laughs> rice krispies, yeah, rice krispies and then doing sessions. nothing but smoking weed and then playing <laughs> with shapes and being probably the fittest person in Australia uh, and completely, you know, you know, all his thoughts focused on this and he arrived at the shortboard. So by picking up that sim- similar piece of equipment and, and go, that's like trying to learn a samurai sword, samurai sword you know you just you never complete it no you know there's always something you're going to learn yeah you're always it always i always visualize it you know when you sort of do the thing where you lie your head back and blow a malteser in the air yeah you know and that's it you're trying to keep this malteser in the air by just <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as you stop it's gone or yeah. if you get it right, and that's the whole global overview for me for my my the way i should, <laughs> riding well, shortboard. I was going to say, yeah. well, you live your I life. I'm off the bloody thing. To me, it's as difficult as that, and it requires as much focus and attention and, and commitment. There's so many things Which to is, it, isn't there? I mean, I yeah. speak to quite a few people that learn surfboards and kiting. And, you know, with kite surfing, there's a bunch of tricks that you can learn, and you consider yourself a pretty accomplished kiter. You know, you can jump fairly high, you can do a back roll, you can do a front roll. And, you know, you've, you've almost like, well, I've done the kiting now, that's it. But then you jump on a surfboard and everything changes. And I've always said, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're always learning when you're on a surfboard with a kite because every wave is different. Every little puff of wind is different. Every time you're on that wave at one eye, there's going to be something different about it. And you have to constantly learn to ride that and to be able to deal with that. And then you go to a different beach and conditions are different. And I guess it's kind of, you know, it's the same with, with surfing because... The waves are always different. You yeah. know, out there today, they were swinging a little bit from the south. They were coming from a slightly different direction. Mm. Peaks there, peaks there. You've got to be fit enough to paddle yourself to all of those spots to try and get yourself in the right place, fit enough to then be able to catch them and know what the wave shape needs to look like yes. to be able to catch it. And all of this is before you've even stood up. And then I've said this before as well about surfing. I always have maintained it's probably the hardest sport out there. You can surf for two hours. You might stand up for two seconds. Mm. You yeah, know, this that's is pretty return. much me today. Yeah. <laughs> I will freely admit. So then, you know, learning that. If I was riding a mountain bike, I would have ridden a mountain bike for two hours. If yeah. I was kite surfing, I would have been kite surfing for two hours. If I was doing, foiling, you know, foiling, you would have, you'd have been foiling for, rides. Yeah, you would have been foiling for a lot longer. Whereas on a shortboard, you, you know, you, you were probably out there catching more waves than anyone. And I reckon if we totaled up the total time you stood up on a board for it probably wouldn't be much more than two and a half minutes oh absolutely not and yeah, that's bonkers not, when you yeah. think that, so that two and a half minutes is the only amount of time you have to mm. learn and progress the skills when you're on the board and then that's it and that it's just it's such a mad investment of time people talk about ten thousand hours mm. you know so to be like the john john florence or whoever you've you've not got to put ten thousand hours of surfing in you need to put ten thousand hours of standing up on a board riding a wave yeah. to get to that level and when you quantify it in that sense you're like what the hell like yeah. that is just mind-blowing 
yeah. and just bonkers. And that's why, you know, we, we talked about it earlier. I really love going to the wave in Bristol and anyone that's listening to this will be looking going, yep, send your Instagram. You seem to spend most of your time yeah, yeah. there. I'm busy queuing up and driving home Friday. I could probably come from Cornwall and go to Bristol. For but more waves. The great thing about it is, is, is you spend an hour and you get, you know, 15, 20 yeah. waves in an hour. So it's almost like that hit of injection you can really progress, but it's so hard to do if you don't have that as a facility. If you, you know, if you're just waiting on the waves in the UK, and as you know, it's been the flattest summer on record for years. For a long time, yeah. So that's no, no, no time stood up. Yeah, no for a lot of people. Yeah, so you could say as a as a community, we would have all got a bit worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, the whole country got a bit worse at surfing. So in the world, Germany would have crept up by us. <laughs> they would have got, definitely would have, but. But the only, yeah, the only option you got is an artificial wave yep. or incredible conditions on your doorstep or learning as a kid yep. with your dad pushing you in, yep. you know, into a wave where you don't really have to do much and you're just standing, yeah, you're just standing there like a little remote control surfer and then you get that, that affinity for it and you learn, yeah, you know, we like trying to learn, um, we like trying to, you know, trying to learn an instrument later on in life and expecting to become a virtuoso is very unlikely possible. Yeah. You know, people do learn things and become incredibly good. Um, but with such a sort of fine skill-based mercurial sport as riding a shortboard, yeah, you have to, you really have to. So get it could it be early. said, going back to what we were talking about with uh, keeping your brain in a learning state, learning to ride a surfboard is probably mm. one of the best ways to do it. It's very, yeah, because it really it's one is. of the hardest things you can do. <laughs> yeah, it is, and you, it, it, so you've got, yeah, you've got this uh, constant challenge. But what's really important in the challenge is that you have to remain curious. Yeah. So if you if you're um, if you if you get like a couple of rats and you stick them on a you know you, you make one exercise each day yep. and you give the other one the opportunity to exercise each day and you find some way to make sure that they've done the same amount of exercise and then you you ass- assess them for brain activity or neuroplasticity how have they do it? I don't really know I don't really want to think about it. <laughs> uh, but they maybe scan them I'm not sure what they do yeah. Um, the, the rat that has been made to exercise won't show the same benefits as the one that's exercised out of choice because really? it wanted to, yeah, because it was curious about it. So it's, it's got to come from, you can't you, force yourself to go no. and go for a run or you've got to be like, I want to go. Yeah, if you're burnt out on something and yeah. you're burnt out on trying to ride a surfboard or kite surf or whatever you're burnt out on, you keep doing it and pressing that button, it's not going to happen. Same way if... Um, if you, they've done these uh, tests on humans really easily, so if you, you you've got someone in a in a brain scanning machine like an MRI, okay, and then or there's other ways of testing. They can put the, the loads of electrodes on top of your head. Yeah, yeah. There's another way they can do it, um, and you you run your fingers over something. You know, parts part of your sensory cortex will light up. So like you're trying to learn to re- read Braille. But if the researcher comes along and just does that to your fingers, it doesn't get the same response. It doesn't happen. You've got, yeah, to, be you've got to be the agent to do it. Yeah, you could be your decision. Yeah. And so you can extend that then to like the more sort of global thing of are you, are you being dragged along to go to this sport? Are you just being made to go yeah. on swimming lessons again and again and again? And if you're not really stoked on it, you won't. So that's when, as we were talking about, being able to switch up onto different equipment is really important yeah because yep. it keeps you interested keep it fresh and that's probably why parents that push their kids into things you know you always talk about pushy parents if you're forcing a kid to do mm. something and they're not interested in it then they're never going to be the next no. Aaron Hadlow or John John Florence or anything they've got to want to do it and yeah. I've got lots of friends that have kids now and 
you know, there seems to be a general consensus that, you know, give them a taste of it. And if they like it, then great, let them yeah. run with it. But don't ever be like, you must be a wakeboarder because I was a pro wakeboarder or yeah. forcing people into something. And that then comes back to what you're saying about the studies on the rats, that if, mm. if they're not wanting to do it, they're not going to pick it up as well. Yeah, you don't get the same benefit and you've just, you've just wasted time. Yeah. You've just wasted time and energy when you could have been doing something that actually would work for yeah. you. Or you could just be having a rest. Yeah, just having a rest. Yeah. It's quite nice it's to have a rest sometimes, isn't it? It's to have a rest and watch a bit of telly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, I mean, that, all that came from, you know, is there any training to do, you know, in, in winter? And I, you know, I think the biggest gains that people will always make you know, are in the mind. Yeah. You know, okay, unless there's some physical work which really needs to be done, but that can be taken care of quite quickly. And you can see people transform their bodies all the time. Yeah. Body will transform if you give it the right diet and the right physical things to do. And, you know, talking about being stoked to do something, if someone's dieting and they're they're starting to do exercise and they're starting to see results, it becomes very addictive. Yeah. Very quickly. And then that starts to become part of their routine. and, And there we go. Um, so, so when we're, you know, when we when we set up some clinics this year, um, performance surfing clinics, and a lot of the one to ones that we've had this year, we've had people booking in lots of one to ones, lessons of ten at a time. Yeah. And we've at the time we said, look, we'll do two two water sessions and we'll do a theory session, two water sessions and a theory session. And if you're really chomping at the bit, you know, to go back in the water, we'll do a water session, but it would be theory based. Yeah. Like take you on a paddleboard tour and show you about lineups and markers and everything else. Yeah. But all the time they've been like, actually, I really want to do the theory session after the first one. Yeah, they're quite interested in it. Yeah, they're quite interested, especially if they're coming to it and that you know, you wouldn't do that with a kid. No. You just give them the experience. But when they're when they're a young adult or adult, whatever, um, then it really benefits. Well, because this is sort of knowledge that in a lot of instruction doesn't get given. No. You know, it's all about doing the sport. There's not much attention to the theory. And unless you're curious enough to go and want to read about it and learn about you know all this other stuff because there's so much more going on than just being able to physically do the thing you'll never pick it up so it's interesting that you know you're taking it on and actually teaching people this stuff because i think that's super important thanks yeah we're giving it a good go um so i'm doing a lot of this with alan stokes yeah so it is we've done a few clinics in the past it's quite interesting we'll come at it from different different places and then we sort of get together with all ideas and that we realize we're sort of talking about the same thing yeah but when you see someone doing something really well and going back to surfing if you see someone shortboarding really well there's this economy of movement but they're generating so much speed so much energy when they paddle in it looks like they haven't really done anything that's a really interesting thing to look at you know they don't look like they're frantically desperately going for it and you think, well, how have they done that? You know, they've they've used like two calories to catch that wave. It's, it's cost them nothing. What have they done differently? Well, they they understand so much more. Yeah. You know, they they were there to catch that wave then, but they knew what was they knew what the, what the swell was doing, where it was going to be, the yeah. t- all this stuff. And you mentioned it earlier about looking, um, you know, looking at the shape of the wave you need to go for. Pattern recognition is a huge thing in surfing. Yeah. And being understand what's making these patterns happen. And then position positioning yourself accordingly, and you'll see people, and they'll just sort of look, and they'll see something, they go there, and then three minutes later, a wave turns up. Like, well, they yeah, didn't see yeah. that wave coming in from the horizon. They could just they just knew that that's probably where it's going to end. Yeah, up. and if you asked them what they saw, they'd probably say, "I don't really know," um, but there's a few things they would have sensed, yeah, and it would have gone there. So, and if you're lucky enough to have learned it all when you're five, great. 
Um, but if not, then... <laughs> school of hard knocks. School you, of hard sir. knocks, bang your head against the wall, but enjoying that journey and all yeah. the things, all the good it's doing for you, it's doing an incredible amount of good for you. Um, because of course, if you did learn it when you're five and you're awesome, you might get into your 20s and stop trying. Yeah. Because you've already, you already can do it. So kind of a blessing really to have it a little bit later on, I think. Well, that's we talked about that a little bit um, the other day, I think. We were saying that, you know, some parents that get their kids into something... And sometimes it's like, oh, you get a kid into surfing. doesn't matter what happens. If they're good at it, they'll always have that skill with them for life. Mm. But then you could get your kid into something like synchronised swimming and they could be mm. British champion at synchronised swimming. But then when they decide they don't want to synchronise swim anymore, it doesn't really help them anywhere. Like, you know, a surfer, yeah. you could still be a good swimmer, I guess. But it's having that, you know, you can still go travelling around the world, surf wherever. I mean, maybe that's a bad analogy. I don't know. But it does seem like, there's certain skills that you can teach people that, you know, will stay more for a long time. They're more transferable and it doesn't matter yeah. whether they get burnt out on the competition aspect of it. There's still a career for them within it. You know, yes. I don't think there's much recreational synchronised swimming that goes on. Well, especially if there's a pandemic, there's none. No, there's none. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's all based around competition-based achievement, yeah, and, isn't it? and so, pools, you can't do it in, you, you know, you can't do it in the wild. Yeah. Wild, I mean, in the rest of the world. Yeah. I think... I don't really like calling anything that's not indoors the wild. <laughs> Seems to be the way at the moment. Yeah, I guess, you know, some, some things are like little cul-de-sacs to go down, aren't they? And you can go down a, a recreational cul-de-sac or a sporting cul-de-sac. Yeah. And, and if that sport disappears... Yeah, well, rollerblading. Roll up into that. Yeah, well, it's, it's making a resurgence. It is making a resurgence. I've seen those neon wheels and those uh, LED yeah. wheels look pretty good around sunset. Yeah, where was where was I? Oh, so this was a classic. So because I spend a lot of time at the wave, I always go there on the one wheel because it's a fifteen minute walk from mm. the car park to wherever. So I was just one wheel in, think this is lovely, and then drop my stuff back at the van and go backwards and forwards. I was coming out of there the other day, and there's a dude on quad roller skates. And I was like, yeah, of all the, the thing, uh, the wave, yeah. And yeah. I was like, of all the things I've seen people coming to and from the wave on, because everyone's <laughs> on a skateboard or yeah, an electric yeah. skateboard, and then seen a few one wheels kicking around. And this dude, he was he was dressed amazingly. Um, he was wearing like a pink Gucci vest and had like blue hair. Oh, this is carefully planned. It was it was it was like an outfit that you would not be surprised to see. In London, this is post ironic. Yeah, it was just like wow, and he's on like a pair of pink quads, and I'm I'm painting a lovely picture yeah. of this gentleman, and I turned to the friend I was with, who was on a bicycle, which was the first time I'd seen someone riding a bicycle backwards and forwards, and uh, I said, you know what, I bet he goes now, and I bet he absolutely rips. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I bet he bloody does. I bet yeah. he's an absolute shredder. Because why else would you be turning mm. up in a pair of pink quads? No, that's what happened to you. See, if you're <laughs> You know, if you're a really good surf and you get stuck in London, you'll end up doing things like that. Well, yeah, you'd probably. Be going nuts. Just, otherwise, you would go completely go bonkers, completely wouldn't bonkers. you? Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. Um, so before we go down a complete rabbit hole on that, I mean, it's interesting because that's all come from your science degree, basically. Yes, this, it has. This interest in like, the mental side of learning and the more theory-based stuff. And you're on last year of that this year. That's but, it. It's about to start, yeah. Which is pretty intense. Yeah, so we've switched from last year was environmental science which is really good did enjoy that a lot and then this year i've gone complete tangent and gone into neuroscience which is you get to choose which things you you sort of look into yeah you do with the natural science degree if you keep it broad based yeah then you can you can skip around between different things um there are you can specialize if you want to go down the physics route or whatever and i had a look at the physics route and it was quite hard i'll be honest <laughs> <You're> like, mm. <laughs> yeah that's right. there were some really good things in there talk about changing your mind um 
if anyone wants to if anyone wants to give the, their mind a quick shot of you know neuroplasticity and learning then just go and read up on special relativity spectrum relativity special relativity special relativity Spe- yeah, there's two types you've got general relativity which is the one that involves gravity <laughs> don't go there Einstein figured both of these out right. so they're, yeah, they're quite bloody good and then you see why he's such a genius uh, but special relativity is quite an easy one to get your head around and uh, it's all about time dilation and length contraction as you approach the speed of light okay yeah really really cool um, there's a simple equation you can use and you can even like work out how fast you've been going when you're skiing and see how much you know younger you are than your friend who didn't manage to make it out of bed because they haven't physically moved so you will be younger by a certain you know amount of time yeah and it's one of the most well proven uh, theories in physics that by moving forwards you get by moving you actually time moves slower for you because you're moving you're moving yeah because you're approaching the speed of light and it it um what it does is it explains why no matter how fast you're moving the speed of light is the, is constant for everybody it only changes with acceleration. Um, yeah, so if you're just just imagine this, then so because people think about sound, yeah, you know, and if you move away from sound, it takes longer for the sound to reach you, yeah, and if you're moving towards it, it gets so we get the Doppler effect as an ambulance goes past, yeah. but you don't get that effect really with light; it's the same. So if, if you're, you know, if we're out in space and you're you're flying, you know, I'm static. And you're flying backwards away from me at 500,000 miles an hour. And then someone, you know, the supernova explosion will see it at the same time. Yeah. You'll both get to us at the same time. Um, and that will be because, ah, yeah, one of us has slowed down in time. It's hard to remember which one. <laughs> because you'll go, well, actually, I'm still, because you're, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, frames of reference. But it's brilliant. It's really good. Yeah, Mind-bending really good. stuff. And, that, and all mobile phones have this technology built into them. Um, because they communicate with satellites, which are going around the Earth at different, you know, they're moving faster than we are even yeah. though they could be in fixed orbit but it doesn't matter um because they're so far out you they're know, still spinning the, yeah the edge of the record is going faster than the inside of the record even so, even though it's the same revolutions per minute i find this i mean this is i'm going to go off on a real tangent here but that's one of the interesting things when people always talk about aliens and oh i bet there's aliens visiting us i don't know how i'm talking about this <laughs> but it makes me laugh is that actually most aliens that were so far away like billions of light years mm. away and across the galaxy They'd be looking at a tiny speck of light where maybe dinosaurs are wandering around or maybe it doesn't even exist. So they probably yeah. wouldn't go, oh, let's go there and steal their really rubbish second-rate technology in our very fast craft that well, we've built. We've only been here five billion years. Well, exactly. We haven't yeah. been here long. So no. it always makes me chuckle when you think about what you know, you're looking at when you look out at the cosmos and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm not going to uh, go down that rabbit hole because that would be yeah, um, a, a really weird not, one. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not qualified. We're not qualified for that. But, yeah. but there's probably aliens out there, but they probably haven't been here. That's all I'm going to say on but that there's matter. probably someone listening who really does understand astrophysics and yeah thinking, he's just, nah, just got all these two pokes yeah. rattling on about <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to touch on another subject there's two things that I wanted to talk to you about in this podcast which we didn't talk about last time in fact one of them we didn't talk about last time because it would have been impossible because it would have been impossible <laughs> so last time we were chatting we were drinking a couple of Stellas and having a gay old time Ooh. and anyone that knows myself or Dom or has been on a trip with me and Dom will be fully aware that I and Dom used to be very partial to the odd tipple every now and then and uh, would love a sunset beer in the pub and often, you know, perhaps take it a little bit too far. And so I came down on this trip having heard from Dom this year that he'd given up alcohol. 
And I was thinking to myself, well, this is going to be a strange experience because I've never probably been around Dom and not had a pint or yeah. been to the pub or had a hangover mm-hmm. or anything. And in my head, and you probably get this, I was going, oh, it's going to be really boring because, you know, he's not going to drink. It's going to be awful. What are we going to do? And actually, um, as a precursor to this, I was on a boat trip getting absolutely smashed for three days <laughs> and was blind drunk quite a lot of the time. So I thought this is a perfect time to go and visit me old mate Dom because I'll probably feel like I need a bit of a detox. So talk me through that. How did that come about and what's the thinking behind it? Well, I'd start off with a very simple dry January. Yeah. Um, you know, why does anyone do a dry January? Because if I have no idea why, I think it's the dumbest thing ever. Always <laughs> have a go, and when they yeah. do, you're only going to get pissed in February again. And it's wasted the and month. And technically, it's the most depressing month. You know, well, it is, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, where everyone kills themselves at the 22nd 20, of January yeah, when the credit card it, bills come in. So you know, you get you have Christmas. It's a it's a time of overindulgence. Yep. And I was feeling a bit overindulged, and I thought, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a dry January. To me, it's I've always agreed. I think it's. You know, why are you doing it? It's it's silly. Just shut up and you know, go get social, be with your friends, or whatever. Because everything was shut, no pubs open. There's nothing going on. Um, were we in a lock? I can't even remember if we were in a lockdown then or not. I think we were. Yeah, we, we, we were definitely in lock- were in Wales because we were just constantly, <laughs> constantly in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. So there was this sort of thing happening, and I thought, well, I'll, this is a good chance, good time to do it. Yeah. Why not? Never done one. Never done one. So and try new things. Yeah, you never know what might thing. happen. Hannibal Lecter said, always try new things. <laughs> uh, so thought I'd give this a go. And there's a couple of ways of doing, well, there's lots of ways of doing a dry January. And the most common way is to do it with willpower, white knuckle it, and you get three days in and you have a drink. Yeah. And you go, do you know what? This is much better. I'm just going to not do that ever again and forget all about it. Or you can, you know, you, you can sort of look into it a little bit more. And I found an excellent um, little website called The Alcohol Experiment. And this woman called Annie Grace, she, she talks you through doing a dry January, whatever. And she said, this is the way to go about it. You know, you tell yourself you're a scientist or you're a researcher and you're going to observe yourself doing all the things you normally did when you had a beer or whatever or glass of wine. And you're going to observe yourself without it and see how you go. And you might have the most boring month of your life, <laughs> but do it. So what? You're yeah, all, it doesn't matter. It's one yeah, month. Just get, in, get involved, have some fun with it, write your thoughts down uh, and see, it, see how you go. And... As you follow it through, each day she gives you a video and says, well, now try this. So she does, it's like a video each day. So you log onto the website, have a little look each day, and there's something there to sort of keep you going, To keep you going, yeah, make you log on. And so you're in this little program. You're like, this is cool, and you get quite excited about it. So you're not, you know, halfway through the day, you're not going just buying a bottle of wine to have for dinner (laughs) because you're like, no, I'm I'm in my thing. I'm doing this little project. Yeah. It's amazing what a bit of motivation can do. And then, you know, she's saying, you know, you're, just do this for one month. Just, just do it. You'll get to the end, and you may want to, you know, g- g- continue drinking, or you may not. But just that, whatever happens, going to happen. One of the things she says for you to do is to write down all the things you think alcohol is so you know, fantastic for, or you know the benefits of it, and then really examine them properly, each one individually, and then check it out again, see if it's actually a load of crap or not. Yeah. And then you go through it, and you do this, and you're like, actually. Well, it, people have come to different conclusions, but I found a lot of things I thought was fantastic about it, like it helped me get to sleep, um, you know, it helps you relax, all these sorts of things. It makes you uh, easier to have conversations, makes you funnier, makes music sound better. Go through them all, and for me, none of them came true. I realised it was, you know, it wasn't there for me anymore. Yeah, so you're still going to sleep. 
music still sounds just as good. Well, I started listening to more music. Okay. Yeah, I, I started listening to more music. I found that I wanted to listen to music a lot more. Um, I was sleeping 100%, but just so much better. Yeah. Not waking up in the night ever. That was a real revelation because, you know, if you're, if you, like two pints will disrupt your sleep. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you need a piss. Yeah, you, yeah. And it will also affect your brain chemistry. So you'll have a drink um, and then, you know, you, you'll get this um, sort of depressive, not, not like uh, feeling depressed, but a, a depressive, like slowing down effect. And so the brain releases chemicals to counteract that. Because the alcohol wears off first and then these chemicals which the brain has released to counteract the depressive effect of the alcohol are still lingering around five hours later. So it wakes, it pulls you out of REM sleep, which yep. is a very shallow, important sleep. So, so without taking a drink, then you don't get that effect. And then, you know, then I, so I did the first month and I thought, you know, halfway through, I thought, I bet I'll get to the end. I'll be gasping for a beer and all the rest of it. Yep. Got to the end and wasn't at all. Really? Yeah, not at all. And I thought, well, that's really cool. Yeah. And just feeling like I had a lot more energy. And January felt like a generally a lot brighter month. Uh, there was loads of surf kicking around. It was great. We had brilliant surf. I think the crib, that was the month when, was that March? I don't know. I think it was. No, it was that month. Cribble was absolutely going off, biggest ever. Yeah. So that felt great to not even have to think about getting ready for that. Yeah, because you're ready for it. Permanent state of readiness. Yeah. Brilliant. So that was really good. We had three days out of the cribber. That was really exhausting, really nice. And then got to February and then thought, oh, I'll do, see about doing another month. And then, oh, you know, first birthday, you know, first holiday, all these types of things and kept going and going and going with it. How was your first birthday? We were in the Isles of Silly. It was brilliant. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was out there with Kate and uh, we, uh, we had a lovely time. It was absolutely fantastic. So it was first holiday and first birthday, not having any bit, you know, a beer at all since, you know, since I was... You know, since I've been going on holiday and, you know, having cele celebratory birthdays and it was fantastic. It was great. And, you know, looking back on it, I, there's no point where I go, I should have just got really drunk then. <laughs> <laughs> that would have really improved it. would have been it. so much better be so, if I was Everything was easier. It just, it just suited me. Yeah. It just suited me. But what, you know, what really sort of helped it along um, was the fact that nothing was open. Yeah. No pubs, nothing like There's that. No temptation. No temptation. No reason. Yeah. No reason. Because I think that's the, I've, I've, I've sort of, I've laughed about this, you know, various people that know me and, uh, you know, in my family, everyone kind of likes a drink and we all get together at Christmas and have a fairly boozy one and it's always kind of been like that and I, you know, love having a beer and going to the pub and having a laugh with people and stuff like that but it's kind of this sort of thing that you think, oh, if I was to not drink, could I not drink? And then you go, oh, well, this occasion's coming up and that occasion's coming up. And then I think I worked out, I think the longest I'd ever been without having a drink for mm. as long as I can remember is probably about four days. Yes. And when I said that to my brother, Ed, I think it was, he was just like, what, four days? And I'm like, yeah, I can't, you know, just can't think of any time. I wouldn't because it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, well, Friday, I'm having a beer on a Friday for yeah, sure. Yeah, standard English. You know, standard sort of English behaviour. Yeah. So it's, it's really... And I had this conversation when we were on the boat trip. Someone said, oh, can you make... Because I, I think I said, oh, I'm going to be teetotal next week. I'm going to go and see my mate Dom. And, you know, not not as a mark of respect to join you in it, but just it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. And uh, and we talked about whether you could be teetotal. And, and it always comes down, I think a lot of people say, oh, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that because of, 
you know, all these social mm. engagements that are happening. So, I mean, that must be something that you've had to sort of really embrace because down here you've got mm. mates, they're all going to yep. the pub, they're all having a beer. How's Nuki's that? Nuki's the home of beer. Well, Nuki is the home of beer. And, yeah. you know, you do a sport where traditionally you go surfing yep. and you have a beer afterwards and mm. sit and watch the sunset. You know, that's that sort of beer and surfing go pretty hand in hand. They really do. So how's it been sort of managing to not do that and kind of extricate yourself from that? Well, it's been, it's been really easy. Just, um, just... You are a man with more willpower than most people have on the planet, though. Let's not, you know. Stubbornness, probably. Yeah. Stubbornness. Well, with, say, like the Apri Surf beer, yep. you know, I've had a few of those, and uh, it's always a non-alcoholic one. You know, yeah. I, I really, really do enjoy a non-alcoholic beer. It's what we're drinking now. Yeah, we're drinking Pilsner Zero Alcohol. It's totally satisfying, as far as I'm concerned. And, it, you know, because it's the set, it's the setting, it's the people you're with. Yep. These are the things that make the moment great. And watching the sun go down and have had you know having had a great surf and you're with your buddy and you're just sort of chatting about it and everything else that's what's really good it's not the alcohol yeah because otherwise we just get rid of everything and, and just have alcohol. you could be sat in that room and i could be sat in that room and we could just be drinking alcohol diluted with mineral water or distilled water and we, we should be having an amazing time but we wouldn't be yeah we're having a really shit time yeah um so it's you know you given the alcohol the credit for all these things it's just there out of habit and ritual, we don't, and probably because we've got bloody great big breweries in this country who love to people to buy it. Yeah, they don't really care. Get tax but, off it. Yeah, make they don't money really care about it. our health. So, um, so that's been. I haven't, I haven't. There's been no. Genuinely, there's been no moment where I'm like, God, I just wish I could have a beer right now. It's people been, listening to this are just like literally be, jaws are on the floor. They're right jaws now. on the floor. They're going, going, what? He's obviously what? Doing, uh, he's been taking <laughs> acting lessons. Yeah, they're taking the piss. This yeah. isn't true. He's, but he's, I've, I've seen it. And I, I was honestly, when you first told me about it, there was a little bit of me. It was like, oh, I've lost a friend. Mm. You know, because I've always come down here and it's just been a rip, had, roaring, great, ridiculous great time. Times. And it's so much fun. And we have had some absolute mm. belter, hilarious things that we've got up to. And so when I came, uh, I think I came on Monday, didn't I? I got mm. here Monday, lunchtime, we went surfing. And then in the evening, when it was sunset, and we'd normally be going to the pub and, you know, having a beer, we drove to Watergate and went surfing again. We had the and best we surfed surf. And had the best surf so far this week, where we got loads of waves. It was super clean, glassy, glassy, glassy. That's one of the nicest surfs I've had in a really, really long time. Yeah, and we would have been in the pub. Yeah. Were we not doing that? And we were there till after dark, I think it was. It was like magic. Well after dark, it was magic. And then we drove home and it was like... Well, that was nice. And just had an alcohol free beer and a bit of a chinwag. And some dinner. Sent a picture to my brother to really confuse him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was really great. And then what did we do? It's Tuesday night. I think we had a fairly early one because we surf for ages what on Tuesday. It it's Wednesday today. Tuesday we went spearfishing. Did we spearfish Tuesday? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we literally did night surf and yeah. then spearfish. Yeah. Oh, and tonight we're doing a podcast. Tonight so we're, like we've yeah. literally filled our, our evenings with activities. So spearfishing... Um, well, we went picking fish up out of the sea. That's right. <laughs> yeah, stabbing flatfish. Stabbing flatfish yeah. with you, a knife. Yeah. But we went at night and we, we didn't get out of the water till 11, did That's we? That's right. And it was amazing. So the pubs were shut by the time we got out of the water and it was bloody mm-hmm. magic. And Down it wasn't even, it's not even on the radar. It's not even on the menu, the thought of having a beer. No. You know, when you're doing that, you're just like doing this really cool activity. Yeah. But that surf, you know, we had on Monday, that was fantastic. And we were surfing till dark. Yeah. And trying to sort of see the shapes of things in the dark. It was an amazing feeling. Great sensations. Yeah. All totally pure. Yeah. You know, no hangover, nothing. Well, that was a nice thing on Tuesday. I think the swell was pretty pumping. And, um, you know, on my shortboard journey, I've not really mastered big waves yet, but it was fun just to paddle out. And I was paddling out going, if I was feeling horrible, and I did have a really big... Um, surf day a little while back in Broadhaven in Wales and a friend had been to visit and we'd 
been really good because he brought his family, friend who traditionally I get absolutely hammered with. So for three days we didn't get hammered and his wife and kids were super impressed because we were very functional in the morning. We only a couple of beers, but you know, we didn't let the reins off. And then on the Saturday we really pulled the handbrake off and just went mental. And of course on the Sunday we both felt terrible. It just so happened that was the best day of surf for their whole trip. So we went down to Broadhaven. Yeah. I was trying to hold it together. I think I'd been wielding a chainsaw to make it look like I wasn't hung over <laughs> earlier on, but I might have been giving it just revving it in a bush somewhere. He like, can't be hung over, he's operating a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? Sober. So I've been doing that. And then actually the surf that I had, you know, I managed to paddle out the back, but I was paddling out, just going, oh my God, I feel awful. This is yeah. terrible. And I got a few waves, but when I was stood up on the wave, I was just like feeling terrible and rubbish and, you know, having a bit of sick in my mouth and all mm. the rest of it. Whereas on Tuesday... Waking up, no hangover, and paddling out into pretty sizable for school. You know, it was pretty big, and it just, yeah, it did feel, it felt good. Mm. I mean, I I can't say after this week, I'm going back home on Friday, whether I'll continue not drinking. I don't know if I could sit, I couldn't see it, but I mean, I'd probably... I'd probably consider not having a drink this week. Oh, I think I'm meeting my mate Dave. He likes a beer. <laughs> you know, I could try it. <laughs> it's individual for everybody, isn't it? Mm. You know, and if you if you don't feel like you need to, have, you know, do dry January, don't do it. Yeah, just just do enjoy what you your want. life. You know, because you only got one. But it is interesting that there's now so many alcohol-free beers that you yes. can have. Like I've quite enjoyed drinking them this week. It's been nice. They are. Know? They're strangely refreshing. Yeah, they are strangely nice. refreshing. You feel like you're having a beer. You do. You you still, and you, I think you mentioned it. One of the things you said is, you know, talking to people. We've had some amazing chats. Mm. I mean, this particularly being a very entertaining one. Yeah. But, you know, every evening it's been these massive, long-winded, rambling discussions about goodness knows whatever yeah. and not alcohol-fueled. That's right. Um, you still get into the nitty-gritty and you go off piece conversation yeah. as much, it probably, if not more, yeah. because you can remember what you're talking about. You can remember mm. why you got onto the point in the first place. You definitely, you know... We were talking about this, you know, you, you have you have a beer, you have two beers, you're too stupid to drive anymore. Yes. Legally, you're too stupid to drive. Probably too stupid to do a lot of other things as well. But, uh, yeah. You but, can, because you know, it's deemed all right to have yeah. a couple of I mean, beers. I'm, I mean, I'm not, you know, and I'm, I've definitely had lots, lots of fun, you know, lots of parties all over the time. But this, this is probably still a little bit of an experiment for me. Yeah. And, you know, it just keeps getting to a new bit. It's like, well, okay, well... You know, then You're it's not far off a year now. Not far off a year, so you might as well go for it. You, know, you might as well go for a year. year. Well, that'd be pretty cool, yeah. What are we so. doing New Year's? <laughs> <laughs> Hit the reset button. <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's, it's been been pretty interesting. But you don't miss that. This is and this is the thing because when you consider it, you're looking down that you know that, that telescope the other way around, and you're sort of thinking, oh gosh, a month without this, oh, you know, I will lose all my friends. I won't have any fun because you do all of these things anyway. But beer just happens to be there. Yeah, and you did them all as a kid. Yeah. You did them all as a teenager when you couldn't get beer as often as yeah. you wanted to because um, it was unavailable to you by, for legal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, you know, you, you still do all these, these things. And, you, you know, you, I just remember thinking, oh, it's going to be difficult. Then I thought, well, some of the, the best moments I have when I'm traveling are the bits in the car where you're going to and from, you know, the little bits where nothing's really happening. You're just having a bit of a laugh and a bit of a banter. Yeah. You know, just people really just being relaxed around each other. And I've always felt the best part of a party is the very, very first drink when yeah. you're all there together and you all meet up. Yeah. That's always the best. And then you're always chasing it after that. Before it, yeah, goes a bit wrong and bit wrong starts peeking. And it's still fun because everyone's still there. There's music yeah. and everyone's dressed up and you're dancing. And you know, how can it not be fun? Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd literally have to be, um, uh, you know, eating rat poison for it to not be fun. <laughs> so instantly making you sick. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, so you do, yeah, you do, people do think, and when, when some people hear it, they go, oh no, they do think, oh, this is going to be boring, uh, or he's going to turn up and he's going to be boring when we're there, and he's going to be finger wagging, but you know, it's, it's, it, makes no, it makes no difference. Yeah, so I was going to ask, well, how, how have your friends been about it? Are they sort of fairly understanding, or? Well, a lot of them I mean, we saw Jax, you saw Jax today, and <laughs> her still face, can't believe it. it was just like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> They've been all right, I mean, there's a couple of people... Yeah, everyone's been fine about it. You they're know. just like, all oh, right. Yeah, they're like, what, what, you know? And because, to be honest, I haven't really, haven't really been um, hanging out that much because yeah, it's been a busy out, summer so and busy. lockdowns. That's it. And everyone's been working really hard at the surf school, so there's no drinking culture at, at the surf school. Yeah, because uh, you can't have a hangover. That's it, and it, it just doesn't work very well. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll. Well, then again, we've already done a winter, so then I thought, oh, the summer's going to be the difficult one. We've just done the summer now, and so, yeah, so you come yeah, back into the winter. Everyone's totally cool, really. People just like, oh, yeah, well done, nice. That's it. That's pretty much what everybody said. There's, there's been the odd bit of um, people said some funny, you know, the odd bit like, oh, you know, why not? What, what's all that about? And reacting badly about it. And I think that I don't know why, probably because they thought they would quite like to do it as well. Yeah. But, but it's interesting what you can. were talking about, like the, there's always an occasion to have another beer. Yeah. And you kind of are, you know, I felt like, well, do I, do I, who's in control of this situation then? Yeah. You know, is it me or is it the expectation to have a beer? So it's nice to just sort of remove all that and just see, and to see, you know, I know I did think, well, I wonder if I'll be a completely different person by all the end of it. Nothing. I thought, I bet, you know, and then I, for a minute I thought, oh, I bet I'll be really relaxed and really zen about everything. And no, 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 no. Just, <coughs> Same person. Still a dickhead. Yeah, well, no. I, I would say, like, I don't, I was, I, I was sort of expecting. I wasn't expecting it to be as enjoyable or as as exactly the same as it always has been. Yeah. I don't feel like us hanging out without beer has been any worse than us hanging out with beer. If not anything, it's been better because we've done more stuff and probably had a bit more fun. We've done more. We've never felt ill. No, we've had five macking surfs in three days. Yeah. I mean, to the point that I couldn't. I thought there was a night where we just sat around and done nothing, but there wasn't because we surfed one evening, spearfish one evening, doing no. this this evening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and we'd be uh, dead by now. Like if we'd have been, you know, going to the pub all the time, we'd be really knackered right oh. now. A couple of beers in, rambling, and probably we'd be not. rambling, not making any sense, which is probably not what we're. Well, <laughs> this is not yeah, making any sense. Do we sound just as pissed as yeah, the last time exactly. we did a podcast? <laughs> yeah. So it's been good. It's been all right. Yeah. Well, it's been just life. You know, just normal life. Yeah. But the best thing is, well, a couple of things I've noticed that really, really helped. All aches and pains have gone. Yeah. Apart from lower back, that keeps giving me jip. That's just going to be there forever. But I, I had like a sort of nagging um, sort of wrist, sort of felt like a bit of a tendinopathy there that was coming on. And one in, a, in one of my Achilles tendons as well was just sort of like mm, that. Just niggling pain. Yeah, just niggling away that and like one or two in the joints. And that's all gone. Wow. Yeah, all gone. I did a lot of reading as well. Just about alcohol, you know, the effect of alcohol on different things, and um, of course, most of the, most of the, the research is done on alcoholics, which you know, doesn't people help. are in a big big pickle, uh, which doesn't apply to the average person. Yeah, but it's interesting to see, you know, in the extreme cases, what this this drug is actually doing. And one of the things it does is um, they dedicated again, poor rats. They did the test on the rats. They uh, had the control group no alcohol, and then they had the control group who they'd fed alcohol to for for a certain amount of time and then they uh, injured the tendons and then they examined the repair time and in the alcohol group it took three weeks the 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 repair process was delayed by three weeks oh wow yeah so if you've sort of got a sporting injury or something that's niggling and you are still having a few beers it's perhaps times not beers yeah just to see see if it works for a month 
yeah. And I guess you've got to give it a month to see if it's really yeah. Give it a month. Paying off. Give it a whole month because there's all sorts of brain chemistry that resets and you know sorts itself out and sleeping patterns and things. And of course, if you want to pick up a habit, you know, do it for a, do something for a month. Yeah, and, and then, then it, it becomes, becomes habit. You got yeah. it. Yeah. And so, what was the website again? The Alcohol Experiment. It's called the Alcohol Experiment. There you go. It's, I really re- it just it made it interesting and. You know, when you, you sort of see those TED Talks and they say, do something new for 30 days. Yeah. And one of the great motivators, the guy who, who re- originally did that one, he, he, he's motivating factor for me for, for, for once I tried something like that in the past. And he said, look, those 30 days are going to be up and it's going to be the next month, whether you've done it or not. Yeah. You're still going to get here. And so I thought, well, it's going to be February, wherever I've done dry January or not. Yeah, that and then, month is still coming. That month is still coming and haven't thought about it, how disappointed would I be by the time I got to February and I was like, ah, oh, I didn't do it after all. Yeah. Yeah, for the sake of what, you know. Yeah. You know, you're not beers. cutting your arm off. You're just, no. you're just not having a beer. Which isn't the biggest hardship, is yeah. it? Especially now when you've got all the alcohol free and you can have a, you know, you've got yeah. the taste of it. Yeah. Just taking out the alcohol. Have you ever tried, <laughs> this is going to sound dodgy, mm. obviously not, <laughs> have you ever tried drugs? But you know, they've got some of those alcohol replacement drink things which are sort of herbal i don't know if you've seen those and it's like you know you can drink this and get the same buzz from alcohol but it's not alcohol i've seen them advertised perhaps because people i've never tried them facebook knows i'm an alcoholic or something (laughs) (laughs) i try this but i've seen so just one you know not like smoking weed or anything like that but they're sort of legal medicinal drinks Mm. that you can drink that are meant to give you know make you relaxed and feel happy and chatty well what i found is that the natural brain chemistry does a pretty good job yeah so when you when you get together with your pals and we, we, you know, we get together having a chat then you know your, your serotonin levels will increase naturally and that's really what it's all about that's yeah that's the feel-good drug it's already manufactured inside your own head yeah um so, and then when it when it comes to bedtime you know that relaxing nightcap effect actually well you know your brain's now going to be releasing some melatonin yeah, so that's going to put you into a nice, relaxing, restful sleep. So I find my evenings way more relaxing anyway, and I find my personal contacts with people far better. Yeah, without having a couple of drinks in. Um, so I've never felt the need to try to try. You know, I've, I've try never and even, have something else that no, replace that what the alcohol's missed. That's miss. it. Because you've taken the alcohol out, gone. Well, my life's pretty much the same, if not better. It's better. Yeah. So why would I need to replace it with something else? That's right. Yeah, and it's just living with the natural brain chemistry, which is the nicest. Yeah, that's thing. And if you think back to when you were a kid, you know, and the amazing times and experiences you had, and that, you know, it feels very much like that. It does feel like going being being a, a lot younger than I used to feel. Yeah, which is quite interesting. Well, we do both look very young. We're incredibly yeah. deceptive. <laughs> Although we do look like a couple of tits in the lineup. It's those two bald-headed, shining idiots. You can tell me anything that the Mitchell brothers or Mike said Fred or something else uncomplimentary. Two Jason Statham look alike. Yeah, two Jason. Well, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Because I was saying, oh, it's interesting. That lineup, we were at Watergate. It was like 500 surfers in. Oh, and I think we were the two, <laughs> the only two bald people I there. And which I was is think, mad. You know, I always say, well, I, you know, I just blended in with everybody else. But no, it's so mm. obvious. There's a guy with a bloody head that looks like a you know yeah. pedestrian crossing. <laughs> it's just <laughs> reflecting the yeah, sun. Yeah, it. making everyone blind. <laughs> yeah, we were the only two bald guys, but we had a definitely a we had a big sort of. Um, clear area around us but just stay away from there wouldn't be, be anything to do with us there would be associated no no they all had a lot of fantastic hair uh, well that's why I think I was out in Maidstone the other evening and I was the only bald guy in the pub and I was like I'm sure this bloody cheap 
hair re- replanting game is uh, is what's causing this lack of baldness yeah. among men my, my age because it was definitely not always this way. No, it it, it wasn't quite frequent, wasn't it? And yeah, it was. And guys... it seems like I'm the odd one out. It's like, well, hang on a minute, what's going on? Yeah, here? you don't see a young guy anymore. No, when we no, were young, they've had their hair done. Yeah, and how much is it? Oh, so I think it's about two grand or something. Two grand. Like that. So no, I mean, the, anyone can put that on a credit card. Yeah, it's not a lot. So for the whole thing, you can do it for probably five grand if you say you get it done in Turkey. Well, I think that it's two grand includes all the flights and everything. Is it? That's... Might be four grand. Well, no, I, mean, it, yeah. I, I mean, this is how little I've never looked into it because someone once said to me, "Would you get your hair?" implanted and I was like well I've, I've not had hair since I was about 24 yeah a bit late and now it would freak people out a bit like when yeah. people see me without a hat they're like what I've never yeah. seen you without a hat that's really weird so it really freaked people out if I suddenly went ha ha my hair I was shaving it all along and now I've decided uh-huh. to grow a nice set of curtains and relive my youth and just imagine <laughs> then you've got to buy shampoo and conditioner oh, and then your hair's never going to be right when you want to go out no it's, it's going to get in your face that. it's going to be yeah. a nightmare been, so, that, yeah. been there done that <laughs> not happening. Definitely yeah. not going to be uh, getting my hair transplanted. I think there's something said for being the last bald guy on earth. You know, <laughs> it's like going. You know, you, you know there must be some must be some countries where you know it's, it's less frequent. It's yeah. less frequent, and you go there and you're the bald man. You must be the chief. Whoa! Oh, look at this old, this wise older. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's it's just playing the hand you got. There's something far far more attractive than that, isn't there? Well, yeah, I think there is. Well, yeah. It's, it's yeah, all the fakery and stuff that goes on is just nuts. People don't these days. Yeah, it's like exactly. you don't need it, and it, I think that's all bred through Instagram and people trying to achieve something that's Kim Kardashian like. And we talked about it the other day, didn't we? Emma. Um, Raducanu mm. you know winning the tennis mm-hmm. how amazing is that and then look, that's the sort of role model that women should have yeah. as this is what a woman should look like who's just a natural athlete sports person um, you know not someone who's stuck butt implants in yeah. and has a completely fake face and fake boobs and has tried to make her hips 10 foot wide and her waist you know 20 inches yeah, it's that's just, really it's just ridiculous yeah. and kids these days that's all they're seeing which is a worry oh she was a breast that, that Met Gala wasn't it yeah yeah and she had, you know, she had a, she wasn't dressed, uh, you know, provocatively. It was a bit of a weird sort of outfit, but whatever. Yeah, it's got a bit be of weird, a breath of fresh air. Yeah, breath of, totally. And yeah, what an inspiring, what an inspiring thing. That's the way to go. And then she's got there on, and she's what I, what really stood out for me was she was the one of the few that was really there on her own merit. Yeah, and you could tell that the rest of them they've sort of been thinking about their outfits they're going to wear and they go oh, there they're, and they're just like, there because they're, they're famous and that's it and they're, they're you not can, famous for anything they're, not they're fresh, just famous and, yeah there's nothing you know you'd yeah she, yeah she really undermined them but there we go that's uh that was good that yeah anyway the um the other thing i wanted to chat to you about because we can probably go on till midnight because we haven't had any beers and we're no, not rambling idiots energy, although we are yeah. rambling idiots but um so once people pick their floors up <laughs> their jaws up off the floor um that don moore is now teetotal was you know, something I've known about you for quite a long time. I think it was one winter. I came round and you went, Rue, come and have a look upstairs. And I was like, oh, here we go. What's Dom got for me upstairs? And I was quite surprised you pulled out a shotgun, which is not what I was expecting. <laughs> and at the time, I think you said, oh, it's ready for the zombie apocalypse. But you, you know, how many years ago now? It must be about five years ago, uh, probably. I think it was six. Six years ago. Yeah. So you went ahead and got shotgun license. That's right. And since then... Uh, for people that don't know and this may or may not shock you and and to be honest for me I was like a bit like oh why is he doing that it's a bit weird mm. but Dom's gone on to get various certificates and licenses for shooting and you you literally do you're you're a hunter who eats all his own food 
Yep. You know, so you go out and in the winter months you'll hunt deer and things like that and pheasant and you'll mm. even train food supplier now and butcher so you can chop yep. it all up and look after it all. And then the summer you're spearfishing, which is what we did the other evening. So you're yep. catching all your own food. And I remember when when you first told me about this, there's a we talked about it a bit earlier. Um, this evening there's a kind of weird association in Britain with people and guns where it's mm. like oh you know guns are bad because the media's always talking about them being bad and when you told me about it I was like oh that's a bit weird isn't it you know I was a bit bit sort of I was a bit sort of like oh, I didn't really get it and I was like hang on a minute I can't I can't think anything badly of Dom for going out and hunting game and eating it when I eat meat and all I do eat is meat you know if people mm. that know me I'm pretty much a carnivore mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the anti-vegan I'm the, the thing that vegans want to kill and um, and so for me, I was like, well, I can't have a problem with it then. And I remember I came down uh, when I was recovering from my ankle and we actually went and hunted some pheasant. Yep. Um, and then we ate them, which yep. was pretty amazing, you know, and it yeah. was quite a good experience to go, okay, well, that's come from the field and, you know, you've killed it and dressed it and looked after it, then cooked it wonderfully. And then you're eating it and going, well, I know exactly where my food's come from. And so many people go into a supermarket and just buy chicken, beef, whatever. They've got no clue where it comes from. So then maybe it's just from a packet. So I found that quite interesting. And um, yeah, it's something that, you know, you're super passionate about now and have yep. been doing for a long time. Where did that idea come from that that was something you wanted to do? Or what was the thing that triggered in your brain that was like, this is something I want to get into? Well, I think I've always wanted to do it. Years and years ago, I used to, we used to live near a lake where I grew up. We were really close. And I looked on Google Maps the other day to see how close we were. We were 30 metres away from it. Oh, wow. But yeah, it was, we were like on the shore of this lake. And I used to go fishing there, and it absolutely captivated me. I, it was catch and release. Yeah. And I was always really, really, even though I was fishing, and okay, I can see that there is an argument that fishing is cruel because you're, you know, you, you're, you're basically torturing an animal for, for sport. Yeah. Dragging it out. And it's one of the biggest sports in England. It's the biggest participant sport forget. in England. What you must balance that with is that f- fishermen, they have restored the waterways. And they manage the waterways and they are custodian of all these places. And the, this lake in particular is an example in microcosm of an area which has been restored and lovingly looked after. And the fish are only there because people give up their free time to make this a beautiful place. And a lot of the, 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 the way it works is people, they go fishing all their lives and they get old and they stop fishing. Uh, but then they become really interested in conserving the area and they set up the committees and they're the retirees that got the time on their hands and everything. So... So it's just thanks to them that these it is a wildlife sanctuary. Yeah. Because from then you've got all your butterflies can live there, your dragonflies, all your birds, all your different types of trees and that. So it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, there's there's always um, a bad idea. There's a, you know, something bad in every idea, but you must also look at what they're, they're doing for it. So anyway, that was really captivating for me. And I never forgot about that. I used to love, absolutely love fishing. Sea fishing wasn't quite the same for me. And then a few years ago, Kate and I went clay pigeon shooting and I absolutely loved it. It was yeah. amazing. Just as an experience, just, just as to experience. do random one. You got it, end of a busy season. Well, let's do this for just, you know, something nice to do. We went there and the, the guy was so good, this chap, um, Dave Dave Hearn, Cornish clay pigeon tuition, absolutely phenomenal. And he, he just got us into it, just the two of us, and we had a great time. And he showed us how the shotguns work, all the safety, all the techniques. I was like, this is this is really, really cool. I just got to do this again. Yeah, I want to, I've got to do it all the time. It was so much fun. And and what was really impressed me was the shotguns themselves. Because they're so well made and so fantastic looking. And I thought, this is, I had one. And I thought, this is probably the most lovingly made thing I have had in my hands, object, for years. 
because apart from that it would have been a phone yeah that would have been like the best thing you can pick up um you know maybe like a guitar or a musical instrument it's that type of that type of equipment and that was really <coughs> re- really interesting to see that yeah and it, and it, so we yeah we did it again and then i just got really into clay pigeon shoot and i was like i really really bloody like this and so if you want to keep going clay pigeon shooting you have to get your own shotgun yeah and then then you can go to lots more clay clay pigeon shooting clubs so that started and then the whole time I'm thinking, oh, you know, you, you know, you start reading up about it. You can see that people go hunting wild birds, or they're going for driven shoots, and all the rest of it. And you you speak to other people who do it, and they're like, yeah, that's that's what I do. And I also do deer hunting or deer stalking. You're like, oh, that sounds just sounds amazing. Just that the thought of hunting really was what you know what really drew me into it. I thought that just would be incredible. And I know I love that sort of stuff from from fishing. Is is a type of hunting? Well, it is. Yeah, it is, absolutely, it is. And I thought that is something I really, really want to do. And then Kate bought me a, uh, a deer stalk to go on uh, for Christmas. And I went on it and it was, it was epic. You know, talk about a life-changing experience. We, it ended up coinciding with uh, Dirk, Jacker and Phil. We all went as a four. Right. It was, it was so good. It was so incredibly good. We each got a deer. And then we had, um, we had the stalker come out with us and guide us and make sure it was all good because we were obviously novices. And then the butcher showed us how to butcher and everything else. And I was like, that is just phenomenal. So then I started booking onto more stalks and then got my own rifle. Um, yeah, that's just a f- sort of formality, really. And I joined a couple of target clubs as well, just to get you know, familiar with them all. Yeah. Uh, which is also a nice thing to do in the winter, a good skill to have. Uh, just kept going for it. Did uh, what did I do? I did the, the deer stalker course where you become, a, you get the trained hunter's ticket, you get the, the game meat hygiene, t- hygiene ticket as well. Um, and then you eventually you'll find your own land yeah you know where you where you can where you can get your own deer and yeah that's that's where i'm at to today yeah so that's any red meat i have will be meat that i've shot yeah that's it i just in fact i don't buy any meat from the supermarket very occasionally yeah very occasionally it will be a bit of chicken maybe a bit of chicken and it's maximum for the last few years now 10 times a year the absolute maximum it won't be that often it yeah. won't be, probably won't be once a month. Wow. Certainly don't buy any fish. Yeah. Either. That's the other thing is you got into spear fishing and yeah. catching all your own fish. So it was really, the, it was the drive to hunt, which, which led me to it. And it's available. You can do it in this country. Yeah. Cause it's something that people don't, I think you can't. it's sort of like an underground thing or, you know, it's not readily said, Oh, you know, you can go and do this. You can go and do that. And since, um, doing that shoot with you, uh, well, it wasn't a shoot, but we just wandered around some woodland looking yeah. at some pheasants, and I think you let me have a golden gun. And I was like, oh, that's bloody all right. It's a bit mm. of fun. And then I've got some friends down in Kent, and um, they do lots of clay pigeon shooting. They're, some of their mates are farmers, so they've got their own sh- um, traps and everything, and they just go and set up a shoot. I've been doing that with them, and it is like, it is, you know, bloody good fun. It's bloody good fun. The noise of them, the <clears throat> kick, you know, the recoil, it is exciting. You get this, you know, a very physical, sensory experience which you're not going to get from playing Laser Quest. No. You know, the kick of that thing, the smell of it, yeah. the way it handles, the weight, the swing, the satisfying of, you know, satisfaction of seeing that clay turn to dust in the yeah, air. It's not easy. It's not easy, and it's really, really rewarding. It's a proper visceral, you know, a pro- pro- proper sensory pleasure. Um, the other, one of the other things I like about it is it requires a lot of discipline. You know, you've got to be so strict with yourself with the way you're handling the guns and the safety side of things, and the responsibilities. Massive. Taken, like, yeah, it's massive. It's absolutely huge. You, know, you are 
once you have your, your firearm certificate, you you you, you have to be uh, vetted. Um, you have to see your doctor's records. You have to see you know if there's a criminal record there. All these sorts of things. So you you really are under intense scrutiny, which is fine. Yeah, you know? as you should be. As you should be. Yeah, and I I really I like the responsibility um, that it that it comes with, and. But the, the the discipline side, I think, is is a very satisfying to do something. You have to be disciplined and focused and proper and present and correct and very considerate of everybody around you. It's it's nice to have that responsibility. Yeah, you know, everything in life can't just be hey, totally carefree, and it doesn't matter who cares what I do now, and I'm just going to change my mind and do this. It's nice to have a bit of commitment. Yeah. And I guess it's something you've had to learn as well. So it's another another skill, yeah. Another skill that you've been learning, and you know, going on a whole yeah, quest endless. with it all. I mean, there's so much more I want to do with that. You know, even like reloading your own ammunition. I haven't even gotten to that yet. That's a big thing, and there's so much you can do with that. Um, but yeah, that's that's really my focus in the winters now, and it has been for the last few winters. Yeah. So as the summer you know winds up, I, that's what I really start looking forward to getting out into it outside. Yeah, that's and it. you know, that's another thing. It's just being outside is a a fantastic. It's so good experience for your for humans. You know, we're not meant to be cooped up in offices and indoors and stuff like that. We're meant to be outside. And I just spent about a week up in Snowdonia in the Cambrian Mountains, and it was just so refreshing. Just everywhere you looked was just scenery, rather yeah. than everywhere you look is a cityscape or you know buildings and stuff. Or a straight so, edge. Yeah, straight edge. It's all just you yeah. know getting out there. It's it's absolutely. It gives so much. You know, you, you're out there, you're out there at night in the rain, it's hard, you're sliding down things, crawling under brambles, you know, you're getting cold, discomfort, but the body thrives on it. Yeah. You know, it feels, it does feel good. And I've, you know, we were sort of talking about eyesight the other day. I'm sure my eyesight's improved from it. Definitely peripheral vision. Yeah. You, you know, it's amazing. You, you, you sort of, first few times you go out, you don't see anything. And as you keep going out and keep going out, you start to spot things really well. It's uh, you know as your brain is waking up yeah. after years and years of looking at a screen and not having to look at anything because you're just walking through buildings and the layout's exactly the same, but you do, you literally do feel your peripheral vision sort of come online and you feel yeah. your mindset change. It's an incredible feeling. Senses um, come alive. The senses come alive. It's it's yeah it's a wonderful thing especially for you know someone like me who's scared of the dark i'm not afraid to admit it yeah uh, but <laughs> well, we were talking about that we the other were, day weren't we you were like are you also afraid that i'm not absolutely terrified of the dark and yet we were well go, swimming around in the dark in the, the dark. other day which is actually and it's weird because I, I you know if if we were walking around in the woods with torches going our own separate ways for fairly prolonged periods of time and then meeting up yeah. that would not do for me it would at all no, but in the sea didn't bother me at all didn't even think once about anything nasty being in the sea we were in the hunting mindset well i just wanted i think the ocean's always been my sort of happy place that i yeah. can go to and so i'm like nothing's gonna have me there because it's only full of good things in fact um it was like floating around a womb wasn't it it was a bit like that yeah. well we had um I've, i did a bit of counseling earlier this year and one of the things the counselor was telling me to do was if you've got something that's frustrating you or angry in you you can um you know go through these rituals to get rid of it and so she, she's saying, oh, you know, pick a, an element, you know, earth, fire, wind, uh, earth, earth, fire, water, or whatever it mm-hmm. was. And I was like, oh, water, because I like the water. She's like, oh, pick, pick, pick something. And I was like, a rock. And it's like, right, so you're going to, you know, 
associate this rock with a thing that you hate and you're going to throw it in the sea. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> She's like, why not? I said, well, I like the sea. I'm not going to fucking put all my shit in there. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm out there, I'm thinking about it. So I'm not doing that at all. So I had to change the whole ritual because it's like, <laughs> like the ocean okay. is my happy place. I'm not, yeah. no, no, you've, you've got you've got me. I'm definitely not doing that because that's not what I want to do. So I think that's why perhaps mm-hmm. swimming around in the sea in the dark <clears throat> doesn't bother me because I feel quite at home there. But yeah, I would not be wandering around in the woods on my own with a torch. It's amazing when, if you get into the hunting mindset, because you could be going around and being a bit freaked out and then suddenly you get into it and, a, I don't know, maybe a bit of dopamine, you know, the sort of drive chemical kicks in and you, the fear evaporates and you, you get back into that mindset. But the other thing, one of the other things I really like about it is it, it makes you, it, you confront someone, I can't remember, I read it once, he's, he said that, you know, hunting makes you confront the brutality of your appetite. Right. So, you know, we all eat, fair enough. Um, but everything we've done, you know, okay, this this house is a very old house, but this was wilderness once. And that got cleared out of the way, and now this house is here. So whatever was living here had to just die. Yeah. It's gone. Later. It ain't coming back. Um, you know, the rubber on the tires of my car, uh, the silicon in my phone, you know, everything I've got is something's died for it. All the vegetables on my plate, something's died for that. Everything, everything, definitely, yeah. absolutely everything. Um, the most direct link is, you know, the food you're putting in the mouth. So the, the choices are go to a supermarket, walk around underneath, you know, fluorescent lights, pick up a parcel of meat with a barcode on it, scan it, and then pay with an electronic thing, and, and away you go and cook that. And then, then yeah, I can see why people might just go, well, actually, I'm just going to become vegan. What's, yeah. what's the point? Whereas when you when you are shooting that animal yourself, you have to go, and it's not for everyone. No, no, absolutely not. But um, you know, it makes you sort of confront it, and you really sort of, oh, you, you don't take it lightly. You never throw any meat away, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you won't be like, oh, that's gone out of date. That you know, you're really aware of how much meat's in the fridge, how much in the freezer, how much portions you're, you're dividing up. It really, really brings it right back to where it should be. Yeah, you know, because we used to be hunter gatherers. Used and that's to be. how you go and get your food. Yeah, and we we are, and that's what we evolved to be. We haven't evolved since then. We've got all sorts of ideas and fashions and everything else, but we're genetic. Our genetic load was reached at the point where we were able to run fifteen miles a day every single day, run down anything on earth. Yeah, and which, get food. Which is why we need to move. It's what we've been talking about for the first half of this. Yeah, uh, if we don't, we're going to get incredibly anxious. That's why a bit of movement really helps again. So, you know, if you think about the you know the sunlight's coming in it's making plants grow the, this this creature is eating you know eating these plants um what what's lost in terms of waste there well you know it, okay this animal's got droppings that they're going to go back into the soil anyway or you know nourish other creatures that are going to live that way then you shoot this animal and you've got it um you've driven 20 miles to do this so that's 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 one thing you can't account for the the hides we can keep the hides and we can get them organically uh, treated as well which is pretty cool. There's someone in Cornwall that does that. Um, you can keep bones for dogs. You can give antlers as dog chews. You can make bone broth. Um, there's the heart and lungs. You know, the lungs you're not going to eat with the heart and the, the liver is, is very good eating as well. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got all the meat on this creature and there really isn't much waste. And then it's going into you, chemical energy. Yeah. And then there we are. So there's really not much loss of energy there. 
There's no, there's hardly any wastage. It's and the thing is, if you weren't doing this, you'd be going to the supermarket and buying meat. Yeah, I'd be buying meat. Or so I'd, how is it? You know, I mean, this is the thing that I sort of thought to myself. And I, when you first hear it, and I'm sure people listening to this are going, "Why mm. hunting?" But again, it's that oh, hunting's bad. And it's yeah, trophy hunters killing rhinoceroses in Africa is bad, and that isn't cool because they're just yeah, out there taking pangolins and making yeah. grind them up and making medicine. Yeah, that kind of stuff's bad. But actually, if you if you're going to eat meat. Then you have to really make a conscious decision, and I'm I'm fully aware that I eat meat, and there's this big vegan movement, and it's like, well, you know, I I do enjoy meat, and I, I wouldn't probably eat an awful lot if I didn't eat meat, but I'm very aware of where it comes from, and okay, I might buy it in a packet, but I actually, when I'm in Wales, we've got really good local butchers, so I don't buy meat from the supermarket. Yeah. I just go to him, and and it, it's incredible how much better it tastes. It does, and so and actually having eaten, you know venison and things with you it's unbelievable how good it tastes when it's you know you know exactly where we can we were joking earlier today i was sat eating a meal with a man who had shot it butchered it and cooked it you know yeah. how often do you get to do that really that's yeah, probably it, a that's, that's maybe a once in a lifetime experience for for some people that they might never have they might never have yeah and that, what a shame and that's what that's how you know that's how the world works yeah that is how energy flows through the world you know it comes in via the sun um, you know, everything else in, on here is fixed. Yeah. All the, all the, you know, the, the only input is, is sunlight and the odd bit of space crap we throw out. But everything yeah. is fixed and it's recycled. Yeah. And the least to, you know, the least that's sort of burnt off as, uh, as fossil fuels or plastic packaging or stuff that's going to go to landfill or non-recyclable, like generally recyclable products, not like greenwashing things. Oh, this is compostable. Yes, at 50 degrees under 10 bar so, pressure, yeah, yeah. that's not compostable. <clears throat> you know, um, but you know, consuming, ha- having meat this way, you could just throw the rest of the carcass on the floor in the field. That's great. You know, the badgers are going to come along, foxes are going to come along, birds will pick away at that. It's going to rot. You know, it's going to go back to where it should be. It's how things, that's yeah. how the world got here. Yeah. People think, you know, it's an emotional subject. Deer are very beautiful creatures. They've got the opposite of, you know, there's Jaws effect and there's the Bambi effect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Imagine if they changed the two around, around. they're going to be like, Ugh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they'd be really scared of deer. You know, and so people, the first <laughs> There's thing, oh, a movie shot, there somewhere. People go, oh, you shot Two movies. Yeah, do, yeah. <laughs> Just literally flip them around. Killing, kill a deer. People go, oh, yeah. The first reaction, if you say to someone, oh, you know, got a deer that I shot, they go, oh, you killed Bambi. That's the first thing. They always say it. It's the most boring <laughs> just boring not funny like it's like have a nice trip like shut <laughs> up worst you know, joke ever because it was Bambi's mum that got shot <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even Bambi um, but they think that deer are endangered and they're oh, this is endangered and they're not they're um, you know just, just about any government agency that's involved with the environment in any way or if you talk to the RSPB um any conservation group will understand, will tell you that deer are a pest in most situations. Uh, doesn't mean that they need to be punished, but the numbers need to be managed. It's as simple as that. So they will, they will succeed in, a, you know, in, a, in an environment, like in, a, in an ecosystem, uh, to the detriment of a lot of other creatures. Would they have a predator? Got, they used to have predators. So it used to be bears and wolves in this country um, but we don't have those anymore. we don't have those anymore no so they're kind of not the food chain because they're vegetarian they're but they're, there's nothing there's nothing to control numbers them. down no so the, the controlling factors i mean a fox might take the odd tiny one but the fox a fox is really small 
and it certainly is going to have, you know... It, well, it, they're bin foxes these days, aren't they? Yeah, they, they've moved inland a bit or into urban environments. So they've got, they, you know, the, way, the way a deer is going to end its life in this country, and people go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we're all to blame because we all live here. It's, it's like turning up at a crowded surf break and moaning about the crowd. Like, you've just got as much or as little right as them to be there anyway. Yeah. So we're all here. We're all consuming all and contributing and chucking things and, you know, flushing toilets which are empty in the sea. <laughs> we're all doing it. Um, but the deer is going to die tangled up in a barbed wire fence or it's going to be hit by a car or it could die of food shortage it probably isn't going to have a nice peaceful lie behind a rock and die it's going to be a pretty shocking death uh, but road traffic accidents I mean everyone's you know, there's deer all over the place in this country yeah. by the side of the road but we have more deer now uh, than probably we've had since Henry VIII's time you know they're on the up they're doing really well, so they do need. There is a management. Um, there is a management program in place. Yeah, so and the, the way that the way that you hunt them is managed as well, isn't it? You're not allowed to do certain things. Not that you're just going out of a semi-automatic no, gun, no, no. just taking pot shots here and there. It's like it's quite strict. You've told me about yeah. it before. It's quite strict what you're allowed to do and how you're allowed to do it, and and yes. what you can shoot and stuff like that. So, like you say, there's management in place around it. Yeah, there's management. There's humane. controls, and it works great. It works perfectly. So, you know, there's seasons for different types of deer. So they're not all open all round. So you, one of the things you, you must all, this is one of the things, if humans are taking deer in this structured, managed way that we're doing it, we will never take, it's illegal to take a lactating mother away. You can't shoot Bambi's deer. mum. Yeah, you can't shoot Bambi's mum. It's illegal. It just cannot happen. Bambi's mum doesn't come online until November the 1st when she hasn't got any, you know, dependent young. But until that point, you know, you, you can't take them. In the wild, a wolf won't care about that. And yeah. we'll just take Bambi's mum and leave the kids to die. So what happened? You take the mother and the kids, are, so they're off, you know, waiting to, for, for some milk and they'll just die because they can't fend for themselves. So obviously we, we avoid that situation. But the calibre of the bullet has to be, um, you know, it has to be fast enough with enough energy to guarantee a clean kill. So, you know, it's, there's no such thing as overkill. Dead, you know, it needs to be dead on its feet. That's really what you're looking for. Um, with an ethical shot as well. You don't just shoot it in the ass and hope that that works. It has to be broadside on through the heart and lungs. You know, it's, it's, it's dead before it hit, the, the sound wave gets to it. Yeah. So, yeah, and it, you're, you know, you, you've got to be, you've got to really care about animals, I think, to do it properly. Um, and you, if you're a bit of a nutter, you're probably not going to have a firearms license in the first place. Yeah, but it really makes you think very carefully about it, and you, you know, you, the, everyone says the day that you don't care is the day you just stop. Yeah, yeah, you must always treat them with a lot of respect. It's probably, you know, it probably goes quite well with surfing. You know, when there's no surf, yeah, you go and wander around the countryside. It's a perfect counterpoint, and it, but it, it, it really is. Yeah, you know, you're in a totally different environment. You know, after you've had enough of being in forests and fields and things, it's really nice to be back at the beach. Yeah, but you still need your alertness and your wits about you and discipline yeah. and and it's the healthy lifestyle yeah you know you, you are having this fantastic recreation in a beautiful natural place that makes you think you know and then you then you know you're sustaining yourself with fantastic you know the, the best food you can get in a way that has also really made you think yeah yeah so we don't have uh bow hunting in this country which is something i think is really cool i think that's a really good decision and you know because one of the other things you know the first thing oh you've killed bambi right okay and then they'll say well it needs to be a fair fight you know i don't believe in hunting unless it's a fair fight and if they're talking about someone shooting a bear well it should be a fair fight 
So then you'll end up with two wounded animals. You've got a wounded bear and you've got a wounded human. They both need fixing. They both need fixing. And, and, you know, and, and they say, oh, yeah, well, I'd like to see the hunter die or whatever. Okay, well, then you're just a bit sick, really, aren't you? Um, <laughs> and they go, oh, it should, be, you know, it should be fair. Why don't you do it with bow and arrow? Well, then you're going to have more injured deer. Yeah. The point isn't to injure them and make it fair. It's not supposed to be a fair fight. Uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's supposed to be final and definite and it's done. You know, no ambiguity, you know, trying to creep up, shooting it with a bow and it sort of doesn't quite do the job and then the deer runs off and then you've got to track it for 12 hours and it's at a really painful slow death. That's not the way. You know, we use the technology that we've got to get it, to get it done. Get the job done. Yeah, it, it's, I find the whole thing fascinating. I, I love it. I love, I love hunting. Um, you know, I'm, I don't have a bloodlust though. If there was, uh, if someone said, I'll go and, you know, go and kick that cat or, you know, why don't you just run over that, that rat rabbit yeah. no i'm not going to do it no that's that's just not it i'm not a, you know i'm an animal lover um so it takes you know first first few times you sort of wonder you know first time you think am i going to be able to do this some people don't that's fair enough and then some people do and go actually i can see you know i need to do more it's, it's completely natural yeah for some people uh, but that's only part of it so you pull the trigger that's you know, that's the first half of it. You've done your hunting, your field craft, you've done your research, just like we're talking about with any sport. You've tracked down the deer, you've made sure it's a safe and an ethical shot, you've identified the quarry. You've also done all the legal work, you've got the insurance permissions, you've stored your guns properly, you've trained with your guns so you know how it works. All of this, all been done. And then you take the shot and then the work really starts because as soon as that bullet has hit that deer and passed through it, it's now food. You must treat it as food because that's what it is. Yeah, it's food. So you've got to watch out for contamination uh, from you know the you know the rumen, the digestive system of the animal. So it has to be shot in a certain place so that doesn't get ruptured. You've got to be time sensitive so you can't leave it for too long because as soon as the animal's dead, its immune system's no longer working. So all the bacteria in its gut's going to keep multiplying and multiplying. It can contaminate the meat if you leave it for too long. Yeah, and make it unfit for human consumption. Uh, you've got to watch out for environmental contamination. So you can't then just shoot it and then start dragging it through the mud and all this blood's, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the, all the you know, mud's going into its sort of exit hole. So exit wound. So then, yeah, you have to then field dress the animal, which basically means removing the alimentary canal. There's only one way in and one way out of a digestive system. And that whole thing has to come out in one. The whole lot. The whole lot. Yeah. So there's a little bit to think about there, but you get it done. And that you would think would be the most gruesome grisly task but it's not it's a once you're in this situation with food you're you know it's work you're yep. doing a job and you want to do it properly and when you do it well and it, it works well you're really pleased you know you, you've done it well you've done it cleanly and efficiently and then you've got this that now you are just left with the carcass really what you've got is just some ribs and some legs um and the meat on it and that's it and it's just still got the fur on it and then that comes home that goes in the chiller for a couple of days depending on how, how you like your meat. That has to be at a certain temperature as well. That's all controlled. You know, you have to take good care of your chiller. That's got to be anti-backed every single time you use it. And then you're onto the butchery. And that is just a wonderful process. That's really, really satisfying. How long did you spend learning, you know, the butchery and stuff like that? Well, the, the, the field dressing, the gralic as it's called, that, that took a probably, you know, sort of about 10 deer or so, watching others, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, it's something you definitely want to get right because one nick in the wrong place and you split, you split the room and you can contaminate it, yeah. 
So about 10 deer for that. And then how long does it take to get 10 deer? Well, you know, in, in Cornwall can get it done quite quick. Um, you know, we've got really good hunting in this country because we've got so many deer. Uh, but in somewhere like Germany, you could be going 10 years to find 10 deer. Really? Yeah, they've got like 800,000 hunters out there. Um, so lots of hunters and not a lot of deer. That's right. And they, they it's just the way they think about it is, is different. In this country, you expect to see deer. You know, you get one every third, third time, I suppose. And then um, the butchery, YouTube is really the way. You know, it's fantastic. And you can just watch a YouTube video and go, right, I'll do that. And you just do it and you just get better. But the, it's, it's quite fascinating. Once, you, once you're in the butchery, the way the meat comes apart, it comes apart, you know, it's got the connective tissue in it and you can literally just separate the muscles like this into the different cuts. You can't really get it wrong, to be honest. It's just... Undoing a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, undoing a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, however you fancy it. Yeah. But I that, think that's what I found most interesting from chatting to you about it is obviously, you know, it's very much, it's a food-based thing. And, and I would love to be able to say... I don't need to go to the butchers anymore. I don't need to go and buy fish. I mean, we've got these fantastic butchers that you can get lovely meat from, but we don't have a good fishmonger. Mm. You know, and actually in my parents' hometown, which is a fishing port of Ramsgate, there used to be six or seven wet fish shops where you could go and get lovely fresh fish straight off the boat, everything like that. Now there's one, mm. and it's a kiosk at the harbour, and it's right. open on a Sunday and a Monday. Or You know, it's just, it's just like it's so hard to get fish because the supermarkets are buying it all up. That's it, and we're not eating as much in and this country. We're not eating as much in this country, and you just yeah. sort of think it's quite sad. So it's quite... Mm. I'd love to be able to do that. I don't know if I would, and I don't know if I'd have the time, you know, to mm. put into it. And, if, you know, if I'm brutally honest, I've got too many other pastimes. But I do recognise why, you know, the attraction of that and the importance of that. That it's great. I can't I can't say to you, I know exactly where my sausages came from or where my, you know, steak came from or where my pork chops came from. I know I came from the farm and I know they came from the butcher, but you know, you know exactly where everything you put into your body's come from, which yes. is pretty awesome. Yeah. It is a, it's fantastic. And by doing that, it's made me eat less meat products. When I'm in when I'm in the hunting you know zone in, in through winter you know I, I won't you know I used to be the sort of person that I need to eat meat three times a day yeah and even that meant having a drive through McDonald's for breakfast I didn't care I just I thought I need meat three times a day I need the protein and now I'm eating proper meat for the last few years I can, it's much easier to you know I'll be much more um, less frequent with my meat portions yeah. don't need as much of it it's better quality and don't treat you know not treating meat like um, uh, you know a confectionery yeah you know it, it's not, not con to consider it like that the other, and then one more thing I there is so much i love about it but another thing is um we sort of started talking about it. there was the self-reliance yeah yeah not having to rely on other people for your food yeah it's like learning to make a fire in the wild i mean that's a fantastic thing um that people do you know they go on these little camps and bushcrafting weekends and one of the things you learn to do is to make a fire you like from scratch like rubbing the sticks and then you're like you do it you're like i could literally just walk away from absolutely everything now <laughs> just make, make fire, fire and yeah. i would live you know you, you you probably would live you just have to get some food you probably steal some turnips or something yeah but if you're making fire yeah you know, as long as you don't burn the forest down you're doing all right you're doing all right and it's an incredibly powerful feeling because you know and, and some people might be listening to this going well these are just really you know artificial things because you don't need to do any of this. Yeah. It's all done for you. And all you're doing is filling some emotional, you know, whim or whatever that you, you like the idea of going and getting your own food. But I think we're realizing now that life's got so convenient for people. You don't even have to be active in your own life to exist. No. It's done for you. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah. And With that's 
saying that as we walked up the beach at Fistral that we took a little mm. path up the sand dunes, didn't we? Which is quite steep. Mm. And we'd just been out paddling around, just been surfing. As you walk past, you go probably 70 to 80% of the people sat on that beach would not be able to walk up that path. Yes. Let alone paddle out there and swim around. And they're probably younger than us. Yep. And that's quite a sad thing that because it's so convenient, they've been allowed to get fat and yeah. lose movement and momentum and the ability to do something and the motivation to do anything because everything's handed to you on a plate. Yeah. And because it's handed to you on a plate, you just lose that drive to go out and do something a bit different. Yeah, you know? and you just show up. All you've got to do is show up for work. We don't have to show up for work anymore. You can do it from home. Yeah. And it's, yeah, all... it's going to be even worse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be walking to the bus. <laughs> That's it. And, we, and we, what have we got? You know, we've got the we've got a couple of you know health crises. We've got lots of health crises. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I was reading a report recently, and it said that the biggest the biggest health burden, or the biggest disease burden, or the leading cause, I should say, in the top uh, top ten uh, high income countries, was mental health. And I always thought it was obesity. Yeah. But uh, mental health now uh, is apparently the leading disease burden. So probably goes hand in hand with obesity for a lot of people as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're, like we were talking earlier, we're designed, you know, 60, 70 pe- people, percent of people on that beach couldn't run up that hill. But every single one of them should have been able to because every yeah. single person is designed that way. Yeah. And they're all born that way. And it's just lack of using it. Yeah. And we talked about, you know, synaptic pruning in the brain, but the same thing happens with the body. Of course, you know, the muscles won't develop, the bone density is not there, the mobility is not there. But that all comes from the brain as well, you know, the ability, the coordination, the ability actually to, to climb up these things or to move the body. It's, yeah, you know, you could keep reducing everything. You know, you could say, well, you don't actually need to have, you know, if you, if you disagree with meat in any way, say, well, you don't actually need to have, um, you know, broccoli flown in from this country. You don't need to have chia seeds flown in from... Wherever you know, from South is. America, you don't need to have avocados. Well, they don't even sell them from Kenya anymore. They stopped no. the exports, didn't they? Because they run out. Yeah, so yeah, you, you smashed avocado on yeah, toast. We, we can manufacture proteins for you that will be perfectly adequate, and we can just put them straight in via tube into your stomach. Would you like that? <laughs> you know, because there's no need for you to be driving to the supermarket and having these things. No need for you to go to Matalan and buy cotton products because you know that's diverting you know water away from lakes in in Russia, and they're all drying up now. So, you know, we could all be reducing our consumer habits. But yeah. then what's the point? Well, we end up in the situation where people are depressed and anxious and they're not moving their bodies and we have a, we have a health crisis. So, but I think a lot of people have seen, seen that happening and seen that coming. And, uh, <clears throat> you, you know, there's a, the open water swimming clubs. Um, the, yeah, the there's cold a massive, yeah. all that open water swimming has exploded. And that seemed to be hand in hand with the, you know, one thing you keep seeing people saying was the mental health benefits from it, yeah. from the cold water immersion and that, fantastic. So we've seen a huge uptick in, uh, parti- well, I'd say addiction to surfing, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I'd say we've seen a huge uptake in addiction to surfing in the last couple of years. Stand up paddle boarding through the roof. Yeah, people well, this is the that. thing that... The sort of the, I wonder how long it's going to go on for this boom from the, the pandemic. And it's nice we've not talked about the pandemic mm. at all. But the the uptick in active sports is a super positive thing. But then it's how long is are people going to keep that up? Because people are doing these things because they've got time, mm. because they've got money, and they want something to do. Because there's you know the normal things that they could do aren't there. And when those normal things come back, are we going to? 
be looking at a massive ecological disaster of however many million paddleboards in the UK or something ridiculous. 200,000 a year or something. 200,000 a year. So just like with pumps that are just going to be rotting away in landfill. Well, they won't be rotting. They won't be rotting. They'll just be sitting there happy as Larry, laughing at the sun and everything around them. Yeah, they go, What's this ecological layer? What were these ancients doing? They're pumping, they were taking air. Maybe they're fixing nitrogen. No, no, they were just taking air. That's putting it in this bag. I'm surprised there's not a low pressure system over the UK, the amount of air that's been pushed into bloody supports. Let them all out at once. I wonder what would happen. If you did let them all out at once, it'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Yeah, the world would go like a balloon going down. I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, whichever way you look at it, humans are bad for the planet. Yeah. And I think we can Too all much try of and, any species is bad. Yeah, you can try and live your life as, you know, with as small a footprint as you can. I mean, it's funny with the sunglasses thing that we set up and um, I think it was Mark Shin uh, that I spoke to once and I was chatting to him about, you know, in the water sports industries that we're in, you know, making a kite board uses lots of resins and things that aren't very good for the, the planet and there's not really much you can do about it. And he made the comment that the the most ecological thing you can do is not make anything. Yeah. Just stop it. Just stop producing things. And that would be the best thing for the planet if we all stopped making things. But of course, that's not going to happen because we live in a capitalist society. And if you stop making things, someone else is going to come in and start making them. So all you can do is is try and make them as best you can. And with the sunglasses, it was like, well, we're trying to be the most sustainable sunglasses company on the planet. But really, the most sustainable thing we could do is not start a sunglasses brand. Mm. But then the flip side to that, what I say to people is, oh, but by being the most sustainable sunglasses brand on the planet and by using things like biodegradable lenses, which no one else is using yet, and that's why the sunglasses are so expensive, it then hopefully will make the industry go, oh, there is an alternative. Mm. And if we can change the industry for the better by, you know, being a small piece of the puzzle at the start of it, then that's always a positive thing. But yeah, whichever way you look at it, you know, humans aren't great for the planet. And I think what you're doing with the way that you get your food, I think is really admirable because, you know, I can't, you know, can't really tell you where my meat comes from, but you can. And like we've discussed it before, you're not going out there killing 400 deer and storing them up. You're going out there and killing what you need to eat, you know, and that's the same for fish. We went out the other evening, shot a couple of bass, that's dinner come back we're not out there going oh, i'll need to get another 10 and you know throw them in the sea just oh yeah you're not round them up in a pen and shooting them with a semi-automatic no which no. is what the fishing industry is doing yes have you watched things like seas piracy or sea seas piracy or whatever they call it and i can't bring myself to watch any of it no i can't watch any of the cows none of it cowspiracy was the other one wasn't it i just can't get involved in anything like that it's a bit no mad, matter what it? it's about well i've i've i i'll admit i haven't watched them which would be the wrong thing now to comment on them but i mean the basic premise of them all is that you know mass farming of mm. all these products cows and fish is bad totally get that and i think you've said it before that the, the most efficient way of fishing is spear fishing because you, or you go yeah. in and you take one fish can you come out selected yeah and you're yeah. selecting that fish it's not like you're fishing with a rod where you're not selecting the fish you're catching mm. whatever happens to bite it and you can't see it you're down there looking at it staring at it going that's a big bass that'll do for my dinner yep. that's a small bass i won't shoot that one um you know and, and so it is a very uh what's the word for it not conser- conservationist way of it getting is. your food it's a very light touch <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 absolutely yeah you, there's no way you're gonna you're going to have a dent, you know, I don't think, on, on no. these populations doing that because it's so bloody difficult. But you get enough. You do get enough. And, of course, this is the way we always used to be. Yeah. 
is we'd go out and we'd spear a few fish for the tribe and that was it. Do you remember when we were in Madagascar? <laughs> oh, the turtle. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a, so we came yeah. across this fishing village when we were in Madagascar with F1 years ago, Bandit Dos. So what are they on? Bandit 12 or something now yeah. or even 14 so or 15. So yeah, long, long time ago. And we just came around the corner in this little fishing village in Madagascar and they'd just caught a massive leatherback leather turtle. Leatherback, yeah. And yeah. that was their dinner. And they were all, the whole, all the village was stoked about it. They were super happy that the fishermen had caught this leatherback turtle. And I think we said at the time, like, if, if, if the entire population of the world could see this, they'd be horrified. Mm-hmm. But that's their food. Yeah, and we'd just been, uh, the day before, I think we'd had uh, that five-star spread. Yeah. Do you remember that? On the beach? On the beach. You know, everything else, and we're eating fish and all the rest of it, and then they, they, they're dragging this turtle, and we're like, oh, they can't do that. Outrage. And then we've been scraping food into bins. Yeah. Yeah. I think you yeah. can't really point the finger and say something is bad unless you, you take a really no. long, hard look at your own life. Well, these people wouldn't be living there if they weren't eating leatherback turtles. You no. know, what's the answer? Okay, you guys can't take leatherback turtles because we're emotional about these creatures because we've seen them on instagram yeah and we want to save them we've had absolutely zero interaction with leatherback turtles in our lives we don't know anything about them but we think they look really cute and we'd like to go to madagascar and take a photo diving with them that's what we want to do so therefore you can't eat them instead you're going to import all your food from nestle yeah yeah and you're going to eat this and it's going to be carbohydrates and you're going to have sugar and you're going to like it and we're going to give you coca-cola but you're not having leatherback turtles now who's doing the the Who, bad stuff. Yeah, who's the bad guy in that scenario? Yeah. Um, you know, well, there's a big problem with the whole food chain and where we get our food from. And the way you say, like, you know, big companies like Nestle own all of it, um, you know, and they're just giving us worse and worse food. You know, we didn't all used to be fat. I but, mean, I remember when, you know, a bag of crisps in the 80s was, you know, hmm. 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres, about four crisps in it. And now this, it's really hard to find a bag of crisps yeah. that small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good <laughs> you know, they're all just massive. And then, of course, you know, it's covered in MSG and tasty stuff. So you start ploughing into it and you're like, oh, can't stop. Oh, they found some new flavours and they put just the right amount. It's not too much. You never get sick of them. It's, no. You always want in a bit more. Just wanting a bit more, even though you've eaten four yeah. tubes and of you Pringles. Don't and you, you don't, don't need them. them. Don't you need don't need them. You don't need it at all. just pure... Don't need it at all. So yeah, there's lots that can go wrong with the food chain. Well, I guess for anyone that's listened to this that now doesn't hate us for our <laughs> on yeah. the things that we've been talking not only, about. Not only yeah. does he shoot deer, he doesn't drink. He doesn't drink. Well, I mean, we did always used to say to each other, school. Was it never trust a man that doesn't drink? Yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, so yeah, I, don't don't if I can, yeah. don't know if I can trust you now, Dom. No. <laughs> Although I can say as I come to the end of my uh, Pills and a Zero that it's yeah. been a very enjoyable evening. And then hopefully we haven't offended too many people or, you know. Well, you know where to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Through his podcast. Yeah, right to my podcast. Yeah. Uh, but don't leave me a two-star review on Big uh, Advisor. That'd be unfair. Yeah, that'd be very unfair. PO Box, don't give a toss. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can write and complain. But as ever, Dom, that's been very insightful. And I think we covered off the topics that I wanted to chat to you about because I was keen to talk about the hunting. Thank I'm you. sure it's something a lot of people don't know about you. And I hope it doesn't change their their view of you because it certainly hasn't changed mine and I think it's it's pretty legitimate you know if you were just saying oh I'm a trophy hunter and I just go out and kill things stick them on my wall I'd have it yeah and leave them in the ground and don't do anything but the fact that you actually you know get all the meat and um, and feed it to me every time I come and visit is a is a good thing I think or you know in my eyes a a wonderful thing I love sharing it with people yeah no it's great it's really good and uh, you know it it puts it all in a bit of a different light Um, so yeah without you know any further chat from us 
That might be the world's longest podcast. How long are we up to? Well, no, it's quarter past 11 now, so when do we start? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. But if, if anyone is interested in the hunting exploits, um, I have an Instagram feed. <laughs> the secret Instagram yeah. feed. Called Shotgun Diaries. There we go. And you can go on there and you can see what, it's, see what it looks like. The Shotgun Diaries is well worth following. You've also got Surf Sanctuary. So, yeah, Surf Sanctuary Days. The surfing one. So yeah. that's... that's don't, don't, that's... Yeah, the, the, neither of them are very pop, populated that frequently. Yeah, yeah. but the, uh, the vegans can go to Surf Sanctuary and... Uh, yeah. Well, the vegans might... The, it's funny, a lot of the vegans I spoke to um, about it, they... Not, not the vegans' opinion is more or less than anyone else's, but in terms of getting their head around it, they're like, I oh, yeah, no, I, I totally down with that. You know, the people that are vegan for the reasons of, like, conservation, yeah. conservationism aren't just, like, living on chocolate instead or something. No. Like, dairy-free chocolate. But who are doing it probably, they're like, yeah, I, I totally, totally get yeah. that. But I think the, they've kind of had the same aims, really. It's rising against the mass produce, yeah. producing of production. Yeah. I don't speak yeah. now. Mass production of food. Saw these non-alcoholic beers, oh, Dom. Yeah, make the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> make the tongue all fizzly. <laughs> Need another spoonful of honey. Yeah. So there we have it. That was season three, episode two with Dom Moore. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please tune in for the next episode. I'm not going to say when it's coming because it will come when it comes. Uh, I've got a few people I want to speak to and now I'm traveling around a bit more. Hopefully I'll get a few more of these recorded. As ever, if you enjoyed it, please give it a thumbs up and a like and a share on social media. And the more people that listen to these, then the more I'm inspired to make them. Although I have got back into enjoying making them after a little hiatus. Anyway, that's it from me. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you. Done. That was a good one. That was a good one. Fucking, that's like two hours. And You'd have to chop some of that out, wouldn't you?